Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Awful tragedy making the papers today. It's a story that's um, uh, being reported out of Kilkenny where a boy at 13 lost his life. They were just having a puck about with hurlies and a slitter in the schoolyard uh, at lunchtime. Tragic accident happened uh, when he was killed by the slitter, hit in the throat. Uh, awfully, awfully sad for the family. A freak accident, um, as the papers are reporting, as the guards are reporting it this morning. It makes the front page of many of the Red Tops the misfortunate 13-year-old to lose his life in a handy hurler. And actually, there's a story making the mail this morning about it where they say, and we do know that helmets were made compulsory, mandatory for players across all levels of hurling and camogie in 2010. And that led to a dramatic reduction in injuries. I don't know what you would do to reduce the chances of the hurley, sorry, the, either the hurley or the slitter hitting somebody in the throat. Uh, but there's a quote uh, from one of the player hurlers, uh, Jamie o- James O'Connor, who said that recently, not not connected to this case incidentally, but he said recently that the modern slitter travels at ridiculous distances and some something has to be addressed. Hurleys, hurling balls, as in slitters, have clocked at speeds of nearly 160 kilometres. So 160 kilometres uh, hitting you in the throat and it's a solid object, of course, can be. Unfortunately, in this case, a lethal weapon. Uh, now, the story that makes the red tops, too, uh, with regarding a death is a man who was drunk and apparently seemingly fighting on a bus or fighting with the, you know, some other passenger or what have you. He was put off the bus onto the side of the road, on the side of a dark motorway, after being thrown off that bus. And he was then killed a short time later by a passing vehicle. The inquest yesterday told the horrific story of it. Uh, they say that he was over seven times the drink driving limit. And I know that people will be wondering, is it a safe thing to put somebody who's inebriated or very drunk off a bus onto the side of a dark road? when you see the consequences of what happened to Stephen O'Driscoll at the age of 24, pronounced dead at the scene. COVID makes the papers, obviously. Uh, One of the uh, developing narratives now is, of course, uh, checking vaccine passes and QR codes at pubs and restaurants. And according to the Mirror this morning, the amount of fake vac passes that are out there, I don't know how the, the fake ones actually managed to cut muster because... Um, you know, they, they obviously scan. It must, these fa- fake certs must have a QR code that scan and is accepted by the app. So apparently there's a big problem with fake passes, particularly amongst the 19 to 24 year olds. Add into the mix, uh, the pubs, nightclubs and restaurants that just aren't bothering checking anymore. Uh, and you got a recipe for disaster, they're saying. So much so, and this is kind of half buried away in the examiner, that they're thinking about extending emergency powers that will allow the guardie to impose penalties for non-compliance with COVID restrictions to be extended beyond February onwards and onwards. The emergency powers would go, they're saying. And that's being discussed. 3,500 cases yesterday. Uh, the number in hospital is 520, which is the highest recorded figure since March of this year. But you're going to expect that with any kind of sickness or viral infections like that. This is the time when it will start to be uh, very prevalent, you know, because this is kind of the time for flus and coughs and colds and sniffles and, of course, uh, COVID. Uh, trying to get a house, of course, dominates the front of this morning's echo, where they say that the average listed rent in parts of Cork is now €1,211. It's up now um, 108% from its lowest point. Now, I don't know where they measure the lowest point having been, but you're pr- pretty much looking at 7 or 8% increases per quarter now. And that's all very well <coughs> to be talking about Cork. Uh, 1,211. 
But when you look at the city and suburbs, it's a lot higher than that. It's actually €1,544. So let's call it in the city and suburbs over 1500 a month for a three-bedroom semi, if you can get one, such as the shortage of them. One other issue that's uh, interesting in regards to statistics. Um, for years and years and years, it was drink driving, you know, and people who were stopped were arrested for, for drink driving or being over the limit. One of the big changes, of course, is drug driving. And now you probably will find that uh, more people would be arrested or caught under the influence of drug driving than you will of, of drink driving. It's almost pretty much 50-50, but that was never the way before. I know they're testing more for things like this, but 619 arrests for driving under the influence uh, so far this year, of which over 300 of them were for drug driving alone. And a story that dominates this program uh, from time to time, and when you get one call, you get loads of them. It's these bogus traders and bogus characters who are either trying to sell you something that's dodgy doesn't work or is broken or stolen or trying to do work on your house or garden or pavement or whatever uh, and they're just sheer crooks. It's a story that makes this morning's echo where they say that uh, thousands of euro have been paid in deposits by homeowners to bogus traders. They never come back after taking the deposit. A lot of the time they ask for a deposit because they got to go away and get parts or they have to get, um, you know, uh, you know, stock or whatever the case may be. And they leg it and they're gone. You heard in the news there at nine, a story that we've dealt with in the past. I'll come back to it later on with regards to f- refs being forced to lock themselves into dressing rooms. Refs being forced to call guardie to local matches. Refs being attacked, uh, hit a dig. Refs being abused, shouted at. And it's not just soccer anymore because the story in the Sun talks of GAA referees now putting up with the same kind of grief. So that's a story that makes this morning's um, uh, Red Tops, particularly the Sun. Um, we have a couple of interesting stories regarding big business making the papers today uh, because Shawnee Fitz has died. Fitzy at the age of 73. And I know that he and his family took some awful abuse on social media following the announcement of the death of the controversial Anglo-Irish bank chief at the age of 73. I think he had a heart attack. Um, uh, for sure, he's one of the most controversial figures in uh, associated with the Irish boom, the Celtic Tiger uh, and Anglo-Irish bank. And uh, the Irish Times this morning say that he rose from uh, small beginnings uh, to lead a bank that was valued at over 13 billion in 2007 before it dramatically collapsed a year later and led to a massive financial crash with losses that were picked up by the taxpayer, all of us, and we had to pay it back on behalf of Anglo, 29 billion euro. And on top of that, then you have the Quinn family. There is such a thing on Google as the right to be forgotten law, where if you can prove your point, uh, Google will delete all stories about you, apparently, um, if you so choose to do that. But apparently, Google has delisted and deleted 74 Uh, Google items about the Quinn family. Um, A lot of the problems with the Quinn family and their woes had to do with Anglo-Irish Bank, um, which then went on to become the IBRC, owned by the state and what have you. Uh, And they took out huge loans, um, at least Sean Quinn did, huge loans uh, from Anglo, and then the whole thing came crashing down. And you probably know this anyway, but the problems with the Quinn Empire, of course, led to the insurance levy that you have to pay. So you, that, you notice the similarities here with regards to Anglo and the, uh, you know, 39 billion that we had to pay. We also pay an extra insurance levy because of issues regarding uh, Quinn insurance. Uh, pennies are flying, though, so much so that according to the mail this morning, they are now going to open uh, three new stores across New York. They're expanding into the United States. The Yanks will just love it. They have no idea what they're in for. 
a total and utter treat. I also hear that they're trying to clean up their act with regards to fast fashion. Papers also this morning talk in the Independent of a couple, two different couples, who gave birth to each other's babies after a mix-up in an IVF clinic. That's an extraordinary story. Um, and they are suing now, apparently. And it's a story that makes the front and inside pages. How can things like that happen? It's almost like um, something that you'd see in a drama or a TV documentary. Uh, talking about dramas, in the year 2047, the copyright runs out on all of Agatha Christie's novels, etc., etc., and books. You know, all of her Marples and Poirots and the fabulous crime novels that she also wrote, wrote, which means that it will be open season from, for anybody and any TV channel to make their own versions of Marple and Poirot and what have you and other stuff like that. And they're worried that there will be saturation. There's saturation already. Like Poirot's on repeat. Marple's on repeat. They're damn good shows. But they're saying that in 2047, anybody will have be able to do anything they want with Agatha Christie's work. Already they do. You know, there's only so many Agatha Christie Marples or, or Poirots. But what happens then, do you ever see it? That you might have a television series that runs for maybe five or six or seven or eight series, but it was only based on one book, which only covered the first series. They call those um, continuation novels. You have the original, I think it happened with a lot of Morse, and then you got Lewis out of it, and then you got Endeavour out of it. You see where I'm going with this? And the paper's also this morning. Uh, am I the only one, actually, that eats the bounties, the bounty sweets out of the celebration box? Apparently, the taste of paradise for some, but it seems that bounty is the chocolate from hell for many fans of the mixed tub of celebration. It's the last eaten sweet. I love, actually, being the one that's different to everybody else because I go for the bounty first. I love them. Absolutely adore them. Sometimes I'll just attack it. Other times I would just let it melt in my mouth so the chocolate just melts away gloriously in my mouth and I'm left with the lovely coconut that I can go on and enjoy. And then, of course, the third part of it is picking the bits of coconut out of your teeth, right? But the poor old bounty, the most hated chalk, I wouldn't have thought so. I would have thought it would have been the goddamn fudge. I mean, who eats fudge like? Unless you just had all your teeth out. I mean, what have we got anyway? We've got celebrations, heroes, roses, quality street, milk tray, black magic. The list goes on and on. But there are other things in the celebration bar box apparently that are much more popular than the old bounty. The miniature Snickers, the Twix, the Mars, the bounty itself, the milk, the Milky Way, the galaxy milk. The Galaxy Caramel and the Mall Teasers Teasers. What I, what I have an axe to grind with, though, <clears throat> being an aficionado of boxes of celebration, is with the Galaxy, you never know whether it's going to be the milk chocolate or the caramel. They need to put some indication because they look identical. And you're expecting the chocolate bar bit and you get the gooey caramel. And it's just, for me... For you, you're probably saying, that's a first world problem, move on. And so I will. The Neil Prenderville Show. You're going to start saying now that they are different. I'm already getting it in my ear. Oh my God, I'm getting in two ears now. I'm getting in one ear from the newsroom and my talk back. I'm getting in the other ear from uh, Emer. There, there are different colours, are they? They are, yeah, yeah. It's the Galaxy Caramel has a kind of a yellow line with the brown. Ah, but how am I supposed to know that? Because you're probably used to eating them, so you should know you, that's the caramel one. And then the plain chocolate is just the brown one. And actually... How am I supposed to know that? Like, is it in the instructions <laughs> or something? Different. Look, I'm going to show you a picture. Look, 
Yeah. And? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, so okay, so which is which going forward now? The, the caramel is the, the yellow okay. line, yeah. Do you, know how, do you know how I find out? I squeeze them. Oh God, you're one of those. And if the caramel crushes, I know that's not the one I want. Oh no, that's terrible. I have to agree actually, Bounty would be my least favourite. I'd be the... <sighs> I love the Bounty. Galaxy Caramel, Twix, because I'm a caramel kind of person. Galaxy Caramel, Twix, Galaxy Milk. Uh, no, I love them. Small teasers, Mars... Snickers and Bounty would be the last. Can I just yeah. say now? I'm, I'm no, sorry, you. I'm time. <laughs> I, I really, really love the Bounty. Thanks be to God. But I, I never take taste. it though. What? Because I never take the Bounty because I know they'll all be left for me at the end anyway. <laughs> genius. <laughs> oh, the cuteness of the man. <laughs> cuteness. The genius of him. All right. Okay, well, undoubtedly people will start texting us to their favourite or least favourite. Anybody in Camp Neil with regards to the Bounty, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850 4106, which is what we did this morning considering all of the confusion. I know there was a big meeting yesterday with regards to the hospitality uh, and vintners and probably uh, government officials regarding hospitality, COVID certs and QR codes and the latest development now is fake VAC passes. I'm joined by Michael O'Donovan publican at the Castle Inn and also chairman of the Cork branch of the vintners. Morning Michael. Morning Neil. Was there a meeting yesterday? If so, who was at it and what happened? Yeah, there was a meeting yesterday and um, I suppose, look, uh, the secretaries in the department of the Taoiseach uh, uh, organised the meeting. They held the meeting and it was for our industry representatives, uh, the Restaurant Association, Boat Vintners Federations and the nighttime entertainment sector. They were all represented at the meeting. Okay, and the topic of conversation was non-compliance. Yeah, they, they were. Um, uh, it was the part of the part of the discussion was the non-compliance. Uh, but um, they gave facts and figures yesterday from uh, their HSE and HSA um, officers that have been out on the road for the last number of weeks. Um, and like the HSE have done over three and a half thousand uh, inspections. Um, there was a seven percent non-compliance rate. HSA was four percent. Uh, non-compliance rate. So, uh, you, in fairness, the ESRI said thirty-seven percent non-compliance. Yeah, Where are they yeah. getting seven and four percent? The ERSI report is a very old report. It's not an up-to-date report, as they said yesterday. So they are not using the ERSI. Report. How old is it? Um, that we didn't get, but it's 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 not a, it's not a current report, is what they said. People listening so, to this will be screaming, "Spin, spin, spin." Uh, look, I suppose the vast majority of places are checking for dessert, but look, there, look, we all know there are places that aren't checking for dessert, so we would be appealing to them to please, uh, at this stage, check for dessert, make sure the people are vaccinated that are going indoors. Um, and look, the, there will be a PR campaign from the government run. Uh, I, I, I would imagine it will be in place by this time next week, um, and hopefully it will bring... Hospitality and the public uh, make them more aware of what needs to happen um, for this, for, for us all to really to stay in business. I know that Michael McGrath, and I think that the hospitality, but certainly the restaurant section yesterday came out and said that anybody um, that wasn't compliant uh, should be fined or should be shut down. And Michael McGrath said outlets that don't enforce the rules are putting everybody at risk and they don't remain, deserve to remain open. Uh, would you go along with that incidentally? And if so, how, how would they be closed down? Take their yeah, license? Look- 
I, I suppose, Neil, what we would like to see in a perfect world now is more HSA and HSE inspectors on the ground um, inspecting premises because I think if they are on the ground, it'll keep everybody honest and keep everybody knowing what they have to do. And look, the vast vast majority of pubs, restaurants here in the city are checking certs but there are some that aren't and it's very hard for those of us that are checking it seeing others that aren't making any effort on it so you know we'd like to see more of them on the ground and yes if there are places that aren't uh, aren't uh, following the rules there are fines in place and also What's that about? I think it's about 2,000 euro isn't it? Two and a half thousand euro And has anybody been caught and fined do you know Michael? Uh, not to my knowledge, no. Okay. There's been no fines issued, but there are, um, I suppose, you know, uh, people in court uh, with their license renewals and guard are objecting to some licenses. But look, that's for the courts to, to work that and out. Do we know how many inspectors are out there and where they're checking and when they're checking? Are they nine to five? Do they work nights? No, what we've been told is that they work, uh, and look, we, we do know from inspections that have taken place, a lot are taking place at weekends, um, and they are working, it's not nine to five, they can come into your premises anytime, they're working, uh, uh, you know, all time, all okay. hours. Okay. So, we know uh, that there were 46,000 inspections carried out um, since May of last year, so that's in over, that's 46,000 in uh, you know, what would that be, 18 or 19 months? So I don't know whether that's good, bad, or an indifferent figure, but that's what they're quoting. Yeah, the, look, the Gardaí would have been responsible for a lot of them, where under the current uh, guidelines, it's the HSE and the HSA are the ones that are inspecting. And, like, we would like to see more HSA and HSE inspectors on the ground um, inspecting, because, as I said, it will keep everybody honest if that is the, if, if they are on the ground. And once they're seen to be doing their job, uh, it'll keep everybody doing the right thing. OK. Um, You're aware as well of this fake VAC pass, that's, um, these forgeries that are freely available, and bought cheaply. Come across any yeah. of those? I, to be honest, I haven't come across them myself because uh, we're asking people when they come in for their their vaccine pass, asking them for their ID if we don't know them. Um, if we know them, we'll just accept their uh, their vaccination pass uh, because they'd be regulars so we'd know exactly the name and we'd know that to match and we only have to ask them for it once once we know know them and they're repeat customers we don't need to be asking them a second time and that's important their- to clarify uh, just explain that to me because I have texts from people who are saying that they're never they're never asked for their cert or QR code but they are asked for their name and phone number Why why would that be? Yeah, when you go, each time you go into a premises, you have to record the person, you know, a name or a contact detail for uh, for one person of a group. If a person's on its own, or if a person's in a group of ten, we need one person's name, irrespective if we know the person or if we don't know the person. But at the door, when we're checking the certs, we only need to check the cert once of a person if we know them. So if you're a regular going into your bar, into your restaurant every day, we check your cert once. We 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 we'll probably know your name, so. We We'll be able to match the name ourselves to the cert. If we don't know you, we'll ask you for your ID to just to match the name to the certificate. Um, and once you've done that once, uh, you don't need to do it again going into the same establishment. Once the staff member at the door knows who's in front of them. Okay, so the the fake fact passes, which are prominent amongst the, the you know huge huge amount of people aged nineteen to twenty four, the ones that are going out at weekends. And good luck yeah. to them, and I hope they have a great time. But those fake passes, will will they scan? Will that a fake QR scan. 
No, I'm told they won't scan. Uh, that they, when they co- present them to the person that's scanning it, it, they're normally transmitted electronically, and they don't scan once they've been sent once uh, electronically. But if it's a visual check, it can, uh, it, they can work. But then when the person asks for the ID, the names aren't matching up. So that's where we're asking okay. for people to be more vigilant on it. And okay. the, ni- the, the 19 to 24. Uh, age bracket is kind of from yesterday's meeting the one that's of most concern because there's about 20% of them that aren't vaccinated and they're the ones that the government are really asking that we keep an eye on for the next number of weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting in itself because let's say that maybe 50% of those in hospital or in ICU are unvaccinated, right? The other 50% are vaccinated. So why are they in hospital and why are they in ICU? If they've been doubly vaccinated, it just goes to show this is not the magic pill we were promised to be delivered. Sure, doesn't? Yeah, you'd have, look. I'm not a virologist. Do you ever think I'm of that? Not. Like, um, what about the what about the hundreds of people who are in hospital double vaccinated? Why? Yeah, look, it's it's a concern. It's obviously a, a big concern. But look, we're just dealing with the hospitality side of it and trying to survive is the honest answer, Neil, because business is very hard at the moment, very tough. And like we had a very good jazz weekend. People were out and about. But um, from what we've seen from the last number of days, the amount of Christmas uh, cancellations at Christmas parties across the sector. Um, and look, I... I Why are people cancelling? Um, look, there's calls from government to be careful of your social interaction and uh, people are taking it seriously and they're worried about it. Um, and the knock-on effect then is it's uh, cancellations across uh, hospitality for Christmas parties and for people going out. And what we've seen from the last two, three weeks um, is people um, are slow in coming out. And look, business has been challenging, very challenging for the last two, three weeks. Yeah, but nobody, I mean, I listen, I did hear the, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, at the weekend talking about Christmas parties and, and even he didn't tell people not to have a Christmas party. He actually said the opposite, just to wait a couple of weeks before deciding to yeah. book. So Yeah, and this is the, I think this is where the public are ahead of sometimes of, you know, the the medical advice. It's it's, it's nearly always happened uh, in, in this, people are you know, pre-guessing what's going to happen and uh, this is a, a consequence that we're seeing at the moment is the cancellation of the Christmas parties and even small groups going out there uh, for the last four or five days um, across the sector there's been huge cancellations. Okay, you, I mean you're not expecting that there will be any kind of, you know, with, with numbers of three or four thousand a day and 500 in hospital and 90 odd in ICU you're not, you're not expecting the reimposition of of some forms of lockdown are you? No, from yesterday's meeting, they were very clear. Look, things are stable at the moment. So once things stay as they are, we're very confident things will stay uh, stay as they are. But look, uh, it's it's on a week-to-week basis at the moment. Um, but look, we're very, very, very hopeful that things stay as they are at the moment. OK, we'll stay in touch with you, Michael, and you likewise. As always, thanks for taking the call. Have a great day. Cheers. Thanks, Neil. Michael O'Donovan, publican at the Castle Inn, beautiful pub on South Main Street and chairman of the Vintners. Uh, talk to me, lads, about whether or not you're getting scanned or whether you're getting checked for ID or whether anybody's taken your mobile phone number or has, uh, you know, used to be that way and has it got lax? I mean, we heard different stats there. 7% non-compliance, 4% non-compliance. The ESRI stat now is being dismissed as being out of date at 37%. So you got all of these figures. Uh, but um, evidence from you guys really matters. So text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter.
at Neil Red FM. And of course, the pressure that we hear of within the health system is constant now. Um, it didn't need COVID to tell us that it was a problem. It has been a problem for a long, long time. But of course, it is accentuated now because of more pressure on the health system. But don't kid yourself for a moment. Um, you, if you're, if you don't need a hospital visit, or if you don't need to go to a GP, or if you don't, if you're not in pain or sick or have issues with body parts, whatever, you're very lucky because. There are 100,000, 100,000 Irish children on Irish waiting lists. Um, and that figure I'm quoting you is from September of this year. 100,000 children alone on waiting lists. Uh, waiting lists. When I say waiting lists, you know, trying to either get an appointment to see a consultant or to get on a waiting list to get to see a consultant and then another waiting list after that to get treatment. And there were, I was reading recently that, and it's never been fixed, you know, I mean, even before this HSE was there, or maybe it was an awful lot better back then. How did it get this bad? So you have 100,000 Irish children, many of whom are on a waiting list now and won't be seen, have you got your seatbelt on, won't be seen till 2035. This is 2021. And they're saying it could be 2035 before those children ever get seen. And that at that stage, they'll be in their late 20s, some of them. And there are 908,000 Irish adults on Irish waiting lists as of August of this year. Over 900,000, 908. Uh, and they're waiting on waiting lists and they're waiting for appointments to see a consultant to get onto a waiting list. And of that 908,000 adults on waiting lists, it will take 14 years to clear that backlog. So again, we're looking at um, somewhere in and around 2035 as well for them. I mean, it's astonishing. And they figure that by December next month, that list will have gone from 908,000 adults and 100,000 children to 1.1 million. 1.1 million which leads you to believe that it's gone up by something in the region of 100 to 150,000 every four months. I mean, it's absolutely horrifying. So text on that as well. Text 0868104106. How did it ever get this bad? I mean, and how did housing get this bad? And the rental crisis get this bad? Why are so many people homeless or couch surfing? I mean, when I was a kid or even in my early teens knocking around and certainly in and out of town, you never saw homeless people. We never had conversations about people desperate to find a home or a roof over. The, it just, it didn't happen in the, in the seventies. We just, I mean, there were some people that were homeless. There was an awful term used back in the day, winos. And you, 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 you could see them. They, they even tended to all dress the same, the misfortune. Um, but there were very few and far between. And was it that society just looked after its own better? I don't know. I don't know. On, on COVID certs, um, getting in and out of pubs and restaurants. I've been out almost every weekend in Cork City and frequented many bars and restaurants since the COVID cert has come into play. I have been asked for my cert in every single place that I've been into. Everyone is always so fast to call out the few businesses who are not asking for it. And it's overshadowing the majority of businesses who are following the rules. This constant negativity and trying to shame businesses who've had it hard over the last two years is nothing short of a disgrace, especially while the politicians follow whatever rules they want. Well, I'm glad to hear that everywhere you're going, all the bars and restaurants, you're being checked. I was at the opening of uh, production in The Everyman on Friday night, and I was very impressed with the COVID certs and the photo photo ID cross-checked. They were very strict 
Uh, and I felt very safe. Well done to the organisers. And more like this will keep society flowing. Of course, they do say if you go into somewhere that's hatchet, absolutely gaga, uh, and you feel that it's not safe, you're supposed to leave. Uh, I would love if you'd ask the question of anyone who's listening today, have they had a COVID test and was recalled to take a second test? I can almost guarantee you not one listener would be able to say, yes, that happened to me. The true old adage is 100%. In this state, anyway, it's not what you know in this country is important. It's who you know, says Pat. And that, of course, has to do with the leader of the Green Party who tested positive, got himself a second test and tested negative. Why do you get a second test? I mean, how many other people are offered a second test when the first one's positive? I don't know. Anyway, back to the phone lines we go. And it is related to going out because we were talking earlier in the week and also the back end of last week that everything's just getting dearer. Um, whether it's, you know, items on a, on a food menu or indeed alcohol. Um, big response to that. And I'll get through some texts in a few minutes time, but calls are important. Heather, good morning. Morning, Neil. No, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you because I'm aware of all of these posh gins because I have friends who drink who drink them and, and sometimes I buy them for them. And they can be, uh, a, a posh gin and tonic could be up to 12 euro, right? Yeah, I think it's because they kind of have them on the menu as cocktails, but like it's not a cocktail, it's a gin and tonic. <laughs> Do you know, I... Um, I don't mind paying whatever, like twelve, ten for a cocktail, but like when it's just a spirit and a tonic, like it's pretty steep. Okay. But they have them down as like you know a cocktail because it has like They're a not. bit of lime in it, or it's in one of those big tumblers or whatever. But yeah, it's well. There is the they they do come in these big balloon tumbler. You know, yeah. when you say tumbler, you're talking about a tall one. I'm talking about yeah, the, the, the fish. Thing. The fish bowl. Yeah. So they come in a fish yeah. bowl glass. They're yeah. served with Hendrix, sorry, pardon me, a fever tree tonic, isn't it? Is that yeah, supposed to be yeah. a better tonic to Schweppes or something, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think it, it tastes a bit better, but I don't really know what the difference is. And then you have the bespoke gins. So we're not talking cork dry gin, we're not talking yeah. gardens, and we're not talking Hendrix. We're talking about... Um, what would it be? A Dingle Gin, a Kinsale Gin, um, a Skellig Gin, a West Cork Gin, or something, isn't it? Yeah, there's loads. <laughs> I, there's so many gins now. It's, I wouldn't know what to pick. I think Hendrix is a good classic. That used to be one of the more expensive ones, but I think all the other ones have kind of surpassed <laughs> the Hendrix now as being a fancy gin. Okay, so two gin and tonics then would cost you €24, Euro, and if you happen to have a couple of glasses Prosecco before your gin, so a gin and tonic and a Prosecco would be €24, Euro, €48 Euro for two people to go out and have two drinks. Yeah, I saw that on your page, all yeah. right. It's pretty steep, especially if you're getting food and all that, like... But um, I was just saying to Emer there that, like, you know, I do feel kind of bad for the restaurants and the bars because, you know, the price of everything else has gone up. Like, all the suppliers' prices have gone up. There's everything with Brexit. And then the minimum wage has gone up, which obviously we need. But I think the government is just trying to look good to the young people and trying to get votes because like it's not coming out of their pocket it's coming out of the employer and you're pocket. feeling it very very t- you're very tight now because I believe both of you lost your jobs during the pandemic did you? yeah we did we both lost our jobs during the pandemic me and my husband but he's working away you know but um, I did some online courses and stuff and like I'm trying to start my own business good for you um, so 
yeah, we're trying to set that up now. So keeping busy, but yeah, I wouldn't be able to afford going out every weekend or anything like that. But um, yeah, I think the only thing they could do is bring the taxes down a bit rather than saying putting up the minimum wage because like minimum wage going up is putting more pressure on the employers and then they're putting up the prices everything and then everyone's giving out that everything is low expense. Well, it's, the government doesn't pay the minimum wage, of course. Yeah, it's exactly. the employer pays it's, it. I get that. Yeah. But, uh, so, when, but so on, on a night out for your good self... It's an expensive night out unless you dial ba- unless you dial down the brand of gin and tonic that you drink. Yeah, uh, it's still like I'd say the bones of nine euro. Like if you want even a vodka and is it whatever cranberry? Yeah, like the only thing, the cheapest thing I suppose would be beer, and that's still yeah. more expensive than it was. Yeah, but I've always drank like spirits, and yeah, you'd be paying easily. And then three for the mixer, like I know, and more than that. I mean, I've paid between ten and twelve yeah. euro for gin and yeah. tonics. Like, so for instance, if if you're out with someone who's a one person's a pint drinker and one's yeah. a gin and tonic drinker, let's say it's a fiver for the pint and twelve euro for the gin and tonic. Would the gin and tonic drink um, at the same pace as the pint drinker? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. Even quicker, I'd say. It's an ex- I don't know. It's a very expensive round then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be expecting, like, if I was with, or, you know, with friends, if they're drinking pints, I wouldn't be expecting them to be getting around <laughs> if I'm drinking spirits. Because yeah, like. it'd be slow if you, you know, it'd be slow over Christmas you're saying, can I buy you a drink when you see him yeah. drinking from a fishbowl <laughs> glass because you know it's going to cost you at least a tenner. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen, good luck on the business setup. Come back to me when you've that done and we'll give you a good push, all right? Take care, Heather. Cheers. All the best. I was out last night for a drink uh, with the wife after a hard weekend's work. We went to one of our locals. We entered with our masks on. We were never asked our co- for our COVID certs and we were not shown to a table. We were taken aback to see lots of people standing around and we also learned that the local darts league was playing a darts match in the corner where everyone was standing around without masks, without any social distancing. Upon witnessing this, we left without having a drink as we were not happy with what we saw and what we experienced in the bar. No wonder cases are on the rise, putting pressure on the health service. Uh, Thank you for that. You don't mention the pub, um, but it seems as if there was no compliance whatsoever going on in there. I was out in East Cork on Saturday night and only one out of the four pubs asked me for my COVID cert. Four East Cork pubs, one asked for a COVID cert. Uh, They expect us to believe that the compliance now or the non-compliance rate is somewhere between 4 and 7%. COVID certs are not law. It's only a recommendation. The legislation says premises may check for certs, not that they must check for them. That they must check certs, but not check for them. This is interesting. The hospitality sen- se- sector gets subsidies from the government to push this discriminatory COVID pass. I don't check the pass, even if people try to show it to me. I assume this text is coming from a publican. I don't check the pass, even if people try to show it to me. I just say, I'm delighted for you. Or I just say, wonderful news. You're very welcome. Enjoy your meal. On the other hand, how many people are qualified to work with a person's documents? Are they all guard vetted? Have they all passed a course? How to handle document information? 
And another thing, you can fly to another co- uh, country with a PCR test, but you can't go to a local pub with it. It's absolutely disgusting. Interesting point you're making there. I'm assuming you're a public and you're saying you don't check and you never will check. Um, and I don't think you're actually right. Far be it for me now to be, you know, uh, pushing back on your thoughts or your opinions. But it's not just a recommendation. It is actually a rule. Uh, because if a pub or a restaurant is found to be non-compliant of people on the premises who haven't had their COVID search checked, they could be and probably would be fined two and a half thousand euros. So I think that's a lot more than just a recommendation, to be honest. Anyway, your thoughts are welcome. Text to 868 Freak, good morning. Hello, Neil. How's it going? I'm good. Did you want to pick up on the cost of booze? Uh, yeah, but you were on the other day. We and 12 euros for a Prosecco, was it? Yeah. Uh, um, 12 euro for a Prosecco, uh, which is like just a glass. Um, it's yeah. not, it's not as if it's um, a, a little, it's not as if it's a kind of half bottle or anything. I know that, Craig. Well, I wouldn't be drinking Prosecco like once they leave the beam of Shalom, maybe be honest. <laughs> but like, well, you'd be dry, I'd be drinking it outside anyway. I'd normally have a cocktail for drinking outside as well, probably. Why is that? I know, I'm just saying that'd be the next thing, probably, if they try to put you off from drinking outside the bars now, Nick. I, oh, so because you're not vaccinated, you have to yeah, drink in the, in the smoking area, and yeah. you have no you have no intention of getting it. No, no, I haven't. You know, no. Yeah, and that's and that's your right. And how are you managing? Yeah, but I'm grand. I'm grand. But I'm like a priest now. I don't be old like as such. So I normally go off and for November need. So I say that's why the pubs are quite as well when they. When Michael or Donovan was on about there, like but you like you've gone crazy, and I will hang in people all over the place. You know what I mean, report. If you're not happy, just get on with it, I think. You know what I mean? People get on with the business as well. Like, but the vintners aren't worried about anyone in my book. The vintners are a cartel and they're on. Right, you know what I mean? Well, uh, they're just trying to run their business. Um, it's yeah, interesting you say this because uh, I saw a text this morning which says, I was speaking with a publican yesterday and he was telling me the last weekend he refused entry to a group as his premises had met capacity. It was full. The disgruntled group left the doorway and put in a complaint to the HSE claiming that COVID guidelines were not being followed. The complaint led to a subsequent visit by the HSE officers to the pub last Monday morning. Uh, is that is, is that yeah. the kind of thing you're talking about? People yeah. shopping and making yeah. up yeah. stories. Civil rights are gone, by you know what I mean. Like in 1969, they're not. We're fighting for civil rights, and we're going to lose them down there to be for United Ireland, which I'm a sinner. Like, but we we be looking to unite 26. By the way, things are going. Mm. People mm. keep hanging each other. Mm. And you think that? Do you think as well that? That the price of drink has gone up, and that's turning people off. It, it probably, I uh, wouldn't say. Well, coming up to Christmas, like people go out either way, and you like, you know, after what, what price of pipe, you'll drink it over the Christmas. I think, can you? You know what I mean? So, Neil, and another point, mm. going back. To and the just finally, are, are people morning. still giving up drink for November? Is does that happen in cities, or is it just a yeah, very, is it a very country thing? Before, yeah, there's a lot of fellas who give it up. I know, you always give it up just for the for the month, like. About, you know, it was for me, me once, so I love someone else. So, but I said it was for me, for myself. I just wonder, does it still happen, that old tradition of giving it up for all souls for the month of November? Okay, okay. what else did you want to mention? I have, I have another thing that I remember about all civil rights. And I, I, there a few weeks ago, I was trying to get out to but it doesn't matter, like on my own. Um, I was talking to the lads in Kent Station, right? Yeah. It was, well, I know the development's gone on, I don't know at the moment, but I think that's just with signal changing and that. But the lads were telling me there was a pack up in the wall to volunteer Charles Daly. He was on the 21st of uh, March, 1921, as far as you know. 
the tanks came down and he was walked in the railway station. They dragged him up the tunnel and came a bait and subsequently shot him and left him on the tracks. So the lads went up and collected him and brought him back down. So they put up a plaque and he's on off. Shot him dead in the tunnel? They shot him, yeah. And but the lads got a plaque put up, but they think the tanks were after. There was another fellow called Charles Daly. He was in Addison General in the IRA. He was on the run. And they thought it was him because he had the same name, but he was a volunteer. But not the wrong guy. Man. Didn't ask questions. But Charles Daly Road in talk was named after the other fellow. But when the lads put up the plaque, and it was like an honour of Charles Daly that walked there and the volunteer. But in each corner, as far as I know, I didn't see the plaque. I see the picture of the plaque. No, Neil, I went down to see the plaque. But they had lilies in each corner. And apparently they got bored from Dublin. That the lilies would have to be taken off the plaque because it was a, it was a Sinn Féin logo that they, kept, they couldn't be up on. Like, they wouldn't be going along with that, that I was real as such. But, like, the lilies, as far as I know, were found by coming a man, not in fame. So you could check that, but they, they want them taken off. I don't know how they're going to manage to take them off. But, like, if you can check off, was there any more developments on it? Do please? people get grief anymore now for wearing a, a, a lily at Easter? No, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. But a lot of them are putting them on now just for the sake of putting them on, Neil, you know what I mean? And I know for the fact, like, a lot of fellas, I used to go around selling lilies, you know, from pub to pub. Yeah. And fellas, look, at the time of the troubles, maybe now, Neil, and when... Well, because the, 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 the authorities believed that it was it was a yeah. connection um, uh, and bigging up the IRA, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like I felt, you know, the lilies are falling by the common man. Yeah, it's much, so, o- it's much older than the provisional IRA. Older, it goes yeah. back as to... As far as I know, I know, Neil, you can check that as well, but I'm only going to matter of it. So it goes back to the War of Independence, yeah. I mean, I mean years and years ago, do you have the... Still have the the uh, Republican commemoration at St. Finbar's every year, don't they? Do, they do. They well, do. The, bra- yeah, the branch, do, the branch yeah. used to be out there for years and years. I used to be in there, I used to be in there. Taking and photographs of people. Well, like, like, I went to a funeral years ago, well, and got back to Tony Helms' funeral, like, and there was more branch still, like, looking in over the graveyard walls, you know? Long lens cameras yeah. and stuff, taking photographs yeah, of people, yeah, apparently. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So they're going to take no, the lilies off the plaque, but leave the plaque, is it? I think so, yeah, but I'd like to check it out. There's one of the lads oh, that was sent to me, he's not working there anymore, but he, he said, just, would you check it out? And he uh, like, just 15 stations, as far as I know, named after Republican. It's easy, to, it's easy to check that with Irish Rail. We'll just ask him for a statement as to what it's all about, not a bother. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to them, he says. All right, well, you do it and we'll do it as well and see what kind of answers right, we get. Bye. All right, Frick, take care. Yeah, thanks for that, bye. All, all the best, all. cheers. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Every day this week we have 250 euro vouchers to give away. Well, that is today and tomorrow we have 250 euro vouchers to give away. And on Friday, a thousand euro voucher to spend at Michelle the Jewelers, celebrating 60 years of being there for you. And what an array of things, them beautiful things they have in the jeweler shop. Lots of gold, lots of silver, lots of watches, lots of beautiful, beautiful trinkets for you to buy. Uh, bespoke jewelry for any occasion, particularly with the lead up to Christmas. So 250 your voucher again today. We will have two listeners going head to head, picking the highest card, the highest diamond card from the deck of cards. Whoever gets the highest card wins the 250 euro voucher. So you're listening out, not now, but later on this morning. This is the cue to call. Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. 
right, call us 10 and 11 when you hear that later this morning on 1850-104-106. I'm delighted hospitality is open. I do think they were given a raw deal, but if they close again, they have nobody to blame but themselves. In the last fortnight, I've been out to three different places that didn't ask for COVID certs. No mask wearing was being done in the two in two of them, but not uh, mask wearing was being done in two of the places, but not in the third. They didn't even ask for names or numbers. We didn't stay in the non-mask wearing place. I've been to the cinema twice recently and mask wearing and COVID search are being checked. Once you sit down for a movie, you can take off the mask like in a restaurant. If cinemas and places like that can do COVID checks, surely bars and restaurants can. They are really shooting themselves in the foot. Text 0868104106 and we'll pick it up after 10. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best and newest names in Irish music. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Big response also yesterday, which I'll come back to, to uh, kids eating their lunches outdoors uh, in all sorts of weather without the proper clothing on because they have to be uniform compliant. So a lot on that and lots more besides. Text 0868-104-106. We have uh, Ted standing by. So is Seamus. First up, Linus, regular contributor. Linus, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? Just picking up on some of the conversations this morning, you wanted to make some comparisons. So go ahead, be my guest. Yeah, it's, um, I just want to see, like, you know, what's the difference between a family going in into a massive uh, shopping center, like whatever, like, you know, Mahon or Wilton or something like, you know, and spending their uh, number of uh, hours and goes from the store to store, maybe pick some ice cream on the way, maybe pick some coffee to go and all this, sit down on the bench and all this. And are we not allowed to come into the restaurant, sit down on one table, have a lunch and they go away without a search? Um, I guess in a shopping mall that you're referring to, going from shop to shop, they'd all have masks on and everywhere they turn, there would be sanitizers and gels that they would be asked to use. Okay, the, right. the, same, the, same, the same in the restaurant. You must come in and have your mask and uh, you use your sanitizer, you say, uh, even sign in in the book. And uh, it's like, for me, it's no, it's no difference between, you know, like, it, and uh, you spend more time in the shopping center, actually, probably than when you go for lunch with your family. Taking things up, putting them down. And are you saying that the difference is that some, that the people in the shopping mall don't have to be vaccinated, but the people in the pub or the restaurant do? Yes, correct. Okay. okay. And, and the same, the same way goes, uh, I can attend the wedding today or tomorrow in, in the, one of the hotels yeah. with no any sort or anything. Now, I'm not sure and, what you said uh, there, but you can, you can go to a wedding without a search or a QR code. You can. Yeah, you can. Yeah. And, uh, and you can stay in hotel, you pay for your room, and then you can use absolutely everything, your bar, your swimming pool, your leisure center, or whatever you want, and uh, you, nobody asks you anything. But in the same premises, you call in for one point, and you need a search. Or if you come in from outside for a meal, you have to have a search. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if you're at so a wedding, that you don't, yeah. It's absolutely bonkers uh, in, in my head, like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know, like, you know? Uh, it's like, it, it's actually, I think it's all about uh, kind of uh, trying to people to push to get a vaccine because you can do things what other people do if you don't have it. Other countries now, actually, are, are, um, are, are tightening the screws an awful lot more than, say, for instance, you'd be suggesting Ireland is because there are countries now 
where you ca- you won't be able to go to work if you're in healthcare, including the UK, unless you're vaccinated. You will lose your job. So we're not that bad. I know, yeah, but but uh, uh, who says? But this is not going to happen in Ireland in the next number of months. Mm. You don't uh, think that no, you don't no, think no, that maybe people working in in uh, nursing homes or hospice facilities or things like that, caring for the elderly and the aged should take every single precaution possibly, including being doubly vaccinated, no? No, I don't think so. That should be, uh, no matter what, that should be a personal choice. No matter and, uh, what, what of the life of the elderly immunocompromised person that they're looking after? No, doesn't matter? No, doesn't matter because this is, at the end of the day, this is your your body and your life. And uh, no, no job and no uh, circumstances should be higher than that. But we could, we could have been having this conversation this time last year or 15 or 18 months ago. This is just, yeah, this, like, what, like if you're so unhappy with it, how is it going to change? It's, it's not really. I, it's not really. Like, no, I, 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 I kind of um, have my mind uh, very clearly set. I, I, I do until it's possible to do. And when it's not possible to do, then it's end for me. What does that mean? That mean uh, probably I don't know uh, maybe even taking my life. Ah, uh, you're not being serious. Don't say things. No, like I'm, that. I'm I'm absolutely serious because I not let myself into into this position to be caught to to do something what I don't want to do. And I I, I my life I all my life I live like this. And uh, a lot of rules uh, I don't follow what I don't want to, but I must follow if I don't want to. You know what I'm saying. Um, I'm, I'm trying to follow what you're saying in the sense that you, you won't follow rules that you don't agree with um, and yes, try and exactly. live your life as best you yes. can without following rules that you don't yes. agree with. But you're thinking, you're saying you're being overwhelmed by that lifestyle now, is it? No, I'm not. But no, I'm saying if if it comes to the point when you can't leave your house without, without a, a cert and vaccine or something, if it comes to that point, but what's left then for person to do? Yeah, but there's a lot of other things to live for. I mean, you're, don't, you don't don't contemplate you ending your you life can, because if you can provide if you can provide for the people, for for your family. If you can't go leave your house, if you can't do anything, like I'm saying, this is the worst case scenario, you know. This so if it came to scenario. a point where you weren't able to go to work, for instance, um, without being vaccinated, you would contemplate ending your life. Um, no, um, I, I still think I, no. I never I never took one cent from government except uh, COVID payment at some point. OK, yeah. but th- then then government will have to provide and uh, look after my family because I'm not taking this, you know. Yeah. Um, but you do realize this is temporary. Well, like, yeah, it's temporary, but you see what happens. They're extending the powers uh, by month, by month, by month, and then extending guards' powers and uh, to uh, um, implement uh, the COVID uh, checks and COVID... uh, uh, No, I mean, temporary really means that it's it's going to improve. I mean, Pfizer now and other companies have come up with these new viral pills, these magic pills. Oh, yeah, brilliant. That are very, that are just... People are going to take that for the breakfast, they have to coffee two each morning, you know? Yeah, but if you, I mean, but why wouldn't, why wouldn't you if you take a vitamin D tablet or you take vitamin C or you take garlic tablet? Why not? 
Yeah, but um, um, I don't take any. I, I take uh, raw garlic and I take uh, okay. uh, vitamin right. C from vegetables and, and uh, from fruits, you know, when okay. it comes to, you know. Okay, okay. Um, and you and, know, so. and why, are, why are you not taking it if you have so much of your life on hold? Is it because you're afraid of it? No, I'm not afraid of it because I'm I'm very skeptical about a lot of uh, uh, pharma and medicine, and uh, I really don't live my life uh, attending hospitals or anything. And uh, I just uh, feel that this is this one one is completely, completely against people's will because they do absolutely everything to push people to take it. Okay. Do you want to jump in on this, Seamus, actually, what Linus is saying? Oh, yeah. Neil, love the show. Uh, I just wanted to come on, really, and just challenge some of the points that you, know, you made earlier on. You made some interesting references to the HSE and the two parties that are to blame for the state of the HSE, number one, are Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Michal Martin, predominantly because he set up the HSE and failed to fix it in the last 20, 25 years, and here we are. So they are to blame fundamentally for this mess. Aside from a pandemic, there's now nearly one million people on waiting list, and it's, it's almost criminal, really, what's actually happening. The people just to country, recap on those figures, there's a hundred thousand Irish children on Irish children. waiting lists, and they won't be seen yeah. until 2035. And there's 908,000 adults on Irish waiting lists, and that waiting list won't be cleared for 14 years. And they say that by by December, which is only three weeks ago, three weeks away, that that uh, waiting list will increase to a million. A million people, that's right. And who are to blame for that? I just don't know how it got this bad. Well, yeah, but we know like the, the people to blame for this are Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. They've been in power during that whole term operating a shabby um, IT system in there and they had the, you know, they'd had growing waiting lists over their, their terms in government right up to this point before the pandemic. I think before the pandemic, we were looking at around 600,000 people or 500,000 people on waiting lists. And now it's almost doubled. So, you know, this is a problem that they created and it's been getting out of control. So but maybe, he- maybe, healthcare, maybe healthcare actually in some ways got better in the, in the way that a lot more diseases or illnesses are now treatable um, that weren't before. So maybe that no, creates Neil, waiting. Li- no, Neil, that's, it's no excuse. I mean, you're, if you've got a number of listeners out there who are suffering with cancer, men, women and children, who've had their, their access to chemotherapy and other things blocked as a result of this, um, this, this government decisions over the last two years. So, you know, I don't believe in that. This is supposed to be one of the richest countries in the world, and yet we've got one in four people on waiting lists in the country for hospital health care. Look, at, going back to the point that I wanted to make, right? Because, I, I mean, I don't understand it either. It used to be like this, you know? I well, mean, and I, and I, know, I know we were talking about a population back in the day of three and a half yeah. million, and it's five million now. I understand the numbers, but... Well, you know, Fine there, was, there was always a bed. There was always a bed. Yeah, well, Fine Gael's policy is to um, create mass immigration into the country without actually provo- uh, creating provision of service, proper services for the country. And Fianna Fáil have propped them up by just rolling out anything in line with anything that will keep them in power. And I mean, why do you say that? Why do, why do you say that I'm I'm following the government agenda? I'm far from the following any that's kind going of. Back to me, yeah, going back to the point that I wanted to make, I just wanted to challenge you on it. Basically, like I was listening to. Listening there this morning, but I know you do, you, you know, you plug a lot for um, local business um, in the Munster area and elsewhere, like, and, and uh, you know, you do that on the air. But I just noticed when you're asking people to kind of text in 
and it's basically you know rat out like a number of whatever business that they've attended are you know. Uh, well, they're your words now, not mine. I never said rat out anybody. Well, I'm not going to say okay, rat out is probably a strong word, but you know, asking people to effectively contact and um, uh, you know let you know or let the station know so we can talk about it on there. The number of premises that have failed to um, effectively police the, these uh, vaccines there. I mean, that's just. You know that goes against that's that's a part of the the, the government policy at the moment. No, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see that. Other. I don't see that any different to say yesterday, where we'd calls on from parents whose children are being asked to eat their lunches outdoor in the rain. I'm just well, curious. I'm just curious. I'm interested. People are interested to know: Are there many? I'm not going to allow anybody to name any pub or, or restaurant, incidentally, but they need to cop themselves on. Um, I'm just curious to know how, how prevalent it is where checks are not being made. It's, it's just a topic that's of interest to people, that's all. Well, I understand. I just think, you know, I just think it's a little unfair on that the service industry and industry at large, really. Has been, they've been all doing their best, really, to work their way around these shambolic, uh, for want of a better word, uh, restrictions and, and regulations uh, that, that have been put down by the government and the people over the last two years. And I just think it's unfair on business at, at large to have uh, all these people come in and say, oh, I tended this, I tended that. That's, that's sheep-like mentality. Let's all jump on the bandwagon and say that I tended here and they didn't do this and they didn't do that. That's exactly what the government want to hear. You know, a lot of people listen to stations like this, especially your station, because you do, you know, you're one of those private stations that does do support the public at large and public opinion and act as that, that medium, you know, to really air the, the real opinion of the people. No, but you're, you're asking to be selective about things then. Just talk about some aspects of life, but don't talk about others' aspects of life. You know, it's, no, well, I feel you can't have one without the other. The cancer at that argument. That's what I thought you were doing by actually inviting people on to do that because that's what the narrative is at the moment being put forward by a government who are saying basically, you know, let's collect the information of those who are not administering the rules that we, uh, our rules and regulations that we've cast down upon them so we can create more laws to penalise the, the, the sectors at large. Okay. You know, right. let, let's decide, like the previous caller, let's society get back to normal, you know. One day in the future we'll look back, this, back on this in re, on reeling the years or something like that. And it will be looked upon um, as a symbolic exercise by a defunct for purpose government. Okay, let's get some more opinions and comments from people on what you've had to say, Seamus and Linus, as well. Thank you both, Seamus and Linus. Text 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red And FM. you can pick up the phone on 1850 104 106 on a busy morning. Well, I covered a lot of ground this morning already. My conversation earlier in the week, of course, with the super cork artist Keith Anderson. He's on the front to the Hollybow, a beautiful piece of the Southgate Bridge and Sim Finbars in the background and Santa Claus going over the bridge is gorgeous on the front of uh, the Hollybow. But at the same time, of course, he has to, he will be soon declaring himself and his teenage daughter homeless in a matter of days. And there are many of those stories. And much of it, of course, comes back to a lack of supply. Also, it seems as if people who are trying to rent or indeed buy homes in Cork or up against Cork City Council and Cork County Council who are bidding against them, not to mention pension funds and vulture funds and things like that. And we arrive now with the Cork City suburban home uh, with the average rent now of €1,544. And on top of that, I spoke of the 1 million people, 1 million when you add children and adults together on Irish hospital waiting lists, which will take 15 years uh, to clear. If they stopped now and did nothing else, if they stopped now putting anybody extra on a list, it would take till 2035 
to clear it. So I, I hate to be the doomsayer this morning, but these are the facts. Ted Tynan's with the Workers' Party, uh, councillor with the Workers' Party. I think he actually spoke to Keith Anderson, in fairness. Ted, good morning. Good morning, um, Neil. You've, yeah. been, you've been around the block a few times, Ted. How did it get so bad? I tell you now, I've been around the block too many times, but you see, there's... The market controls everything when it comes to housing, uh, Neil. And mm. what I mean by the market, you know what I mean. You mean supply and demand, is it? Supply and demand. Yeah. And that is controlled by private developers and private finance. So as to maintain the high cost of housing. And, you know, we, we can only talk about them, the private renters and all that. They're being fleeced by um, by these landlords, particularly the companies. And um, take, for instance, there's a half a billion euro a year, Neil, a half a billion being paid out to private landlords. And the the, the problem that, that, that I'm finding in the city council with uh, my fellow councillors is that most of them do not recognise the fact that there is a housing crisis. Most of your fellow councillors don't recognise, is it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I can tell you now that I'd say most of my work is, is, is concerning people on the housing waiting list with house repairs, living in terrible conditions and all that. You but know? So surely the other councillors who claim that there's no housing crisis must also be getting the same queries from constituents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are they, so why are they in denial then? I, well, it's it's the politics of the situation. For instance, I a bit of a, a road developed Monday evening at the council meeting, which was online, and I noticed streamed out like so. There was people listening in on it, and this um, Fianna Fáil councillor was uh, attacking me because I criticised Cox City Council, which I did not. I actually praised Cox City Who Council. Who was criticising if it was all online for people to see? It was public. So what, uh, Tony, Tony Fitzgerald. And what was wrong, ex-Lord Mayor? What and was he wrong? really lost the run of himself Monday evening. I highlighted the fact, I first of all prefaced my remarks by saying that Cox City Council have a fine record in relation to providing housing. But, and just to quote most of the people working in City Council in the housing department, if they had more finance and more staff, they would do an awful lot more. And therein lies the issue then, uh, Neil, that at national level... So how could that, re- how could that mar- result in a row? Sure, what were you saying that was upsetting anybody? Well, I, it, it seems, I, I think I, it, it upset Tony Fistel, you know, so... Well, well, that's his issue. I mean, that's that that's his problem. The sort of I am calling a spade a spade. There is a housing crisis in Coxley. And did he say there wasn't? Yeah, what 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 he was doing? Look at all the good work we Coxley Council have done. We have loads of projects around the city, building houses, providing houses for people in Blarney on the Bandoff Road and Blackpool and elsewhere. And which is true, but the point I'm making is that um, the city council don't have enough resources, enough funding, and enough finance to um, and staff to do the job properly and fully. And the reason for that is because the political establishment, dominated by Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and now you have the Greens and the Labour Party, they have failed miserably in their. Um, in 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 their with their policies, they will not recognise that there's a major housing crisis. But then you must come up with a solution, Neil. 
And I just give you an example of what the Workers' Party policy is. We first of all called for the setting up of a state construction company. And this is no kind of... Uh, oh, I think that's a fantastic idea. We, we, used, we used to have that years and years ago where local corporations right. built yeah. their own house. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a housing programme um, uh, uh, formulated in 1940. That's right, built all the north side. just over. And Building Ireland, I think, was the name of that programme. And they literally built thousands of houses throughout the state. You only have to look at um, our own areas here in Cork City where you have... Cross, You're spot on. It was oh, north and south of the river, actually. Uh, huge developments. Right. Yeah, massive. Yeah, north and south. Huge, yeah. And yet, you're kind of, would, would, would think, well, in 1948, it was after a devastating World War II. That is, we, we, do we have the money to do that? And they had. And they still have the money to do it, Neil. <clears throat> and if we set up a state construction company, and we also, in the Workers' Party, have a, a mixed-income policy. That means the state would build plenty of um, homes uh, for people to live in. They would then, regardless of their income, they could rent a home then from the local authority through the Cox City Council. And like they're, like they're doing throughout Europe, and Neil, you know? Yeah, so. but, uh, but then we hear of City Council having no bother then spending 450 or 465,000 on a, a four-bedroom semi and buying it um, in the open market uh, down in yeah. the Skahard Road, for instance. Yeah. And then Bridgewater in Blackrock, yeah. apparently, they, right. they hoovered up yeah. 300 units down there. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that is the wrong way to do it. The state should be building these houses. So what they're doing then is that they're hoovering up the private market as well, where people trying to yeah. buy and get on the housing ladder can't yeah. because they're being outbid yeah. by councils. That is a side effect of that. It's, it's government policy is laid out at national level, Neil. And as I said, a half a billion euro per year going to the, the accounts of private landlords. And uh, another issue that we highlight too as well is that um, a home is a human right, you know, and it should be in, it, it should be put into our constitution that a home is a human right, just like many other things. Like, for instance, Neil, you only just read out the stark figures there will ago of, of the the public health services in crisis in this country. The private health is not in crisis, but the public one is because it is not. Um, the, again, successive governments but are not recognising the huge need for a public health service. But it is a public funded. health service, and it's 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 vastly funded on a huge scale. Yeah. Health and welfare take yeah. up all of the public purse, and yet it makes well, no difference. Yeah. yeah, well, there is something wrong down there, isn't there? That with so much money, why is there then almost a million people on the waiting list, and people are dying on the waiting list, Neil, as you know. And that's, They're dying, that's and shock. others unfortunately are slipping through the cracks, and others are being misdiagnosed yeah, yeah. and dying. Yeah. It's just yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, people are on waiting list to be um, uh, tested and do um, with complaints, and they they more than likely have cancer in lots of cases, and yet time is of the essence, and they're waiting months and years to be seen by a consultant. You know, that's, I was talking. Yeah, uh, came across a. A, a, a case history yesterday, I don't know, maybe she'll end, end up coming on the air, but there's a woman who has um, literally nerves wrapped around four of her wisdom teeth um, and is in 
chronic agony and pain. Can you imagine that kind of pain now? And she has been in and out of the dental hospital where she was told they won't be able to do anything for her pain for eight months. Apparently, the pain was so bad that she ended up in St. Michael's Psychiatric Unit in the Mercy because of it. Can you imagine that? That's that's appalling, Neil. Isn't it? Appalling. And... uh, and that's that's an an indictment of the um, the political system. That's why I have my little um, a little bit extreme at times politics and the Vox's party, you know, because I'm outraged at what's going on, and I meet people, and they get on to me trying to contact the HSE, and there's nothing I I I, I can do because of the power of the political establishment, you know. So. And again, the idea of um, putting housing as a human right into the Constitution, I think even if they'd done that, they would then be obliged to take on the private markers and build these tens of thousands of homes that are required. You know? But you know, the, I, mean, I might be going back to Thatcherite politics, but I don't think it has gone away really. You know, a capitalist society that most countries like Ireland are. Um, she yeah. certainly was an advocate of um, let the market decide and uh, let people That's provide right. for themselves. And if you want a house, you yeah. have to go out and work and fight for it. Um, yeah. you, you, don't, you don't think that ideology makes sense, no? It does. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the cause of the situation at the moment. It's that ideology, Maggie Thatcher's ideology is alive and well. Yeah. And... Um, that's why we in the Workers' Party, we debate our policies and are well-founded over the last 40 years, no, I, I, I can say, and that we, I am convinced of our politics on it and we, we are now um, suffering as a result of the Maggie Thatcher uh, ideology. Okay. And another thing too, um, Neil, public transport, railways and, and public buses should be run by the state and it should be free. There should be no charge on them. And the funding come then from general taxation. Yeah, well, and it's actually going the other way with people being harassed yeah. now for local property tax, which is rates yeah. by another word, really, if you like. And, well, and, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, where, where, where is that pro- um, local property tax going? Because the government are not giving sufficient funding. Like the budget this year, no. Some of the politicians in city councils who support the government will say, oh, we're only being left short one million or one and a half million. I think it's more like seven million based on what is already inadequate, you know. So Just just finally, did you have an opportunity perhaps to chat with Keith Anderson, the artist, I believe? Were you, were you chatting I, with him? I did, I did, Neil, and yeah. I, I made a representation to the housing department by email yesterday evening and... I'm just hoping like that something comes up for him, you know. Yeah, 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 him. Um, he's there with his um, 18-year-old daughter, and they're going to be knocking on the door of the homeless services section in um, eight or nine days' time. Yeah. And I'm just hoping that 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 he be accommodated, you know. All right. But then, okay. like that, Neil. There are many there are licenses. Hundreds of other people yes, as I know. well, you know. I know. And I, know. I, I have cases. There's one guy living up in Waterfall, and. He's living in dire conditions up there in a farmyard outbuildings, no heating. And the guy has, he's working away, but he's paying um, about 150 week, a euro a week rent for these uh, living in one of these buildings. Sounds to me you as know? if it's probably so, something like a barn, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were kind of outbuildings and there was doors and windows put into them, but very poorly done. And the 
he's he has no choice. Like he, he for one hundred and fifty quid a week, he thinks he's doing fairly well. Good God! Because other places are two and three hundred and four hundred, you know. So, and that's on a weekly basis, right. you know. Okay. And I have another guy in Blarney Street who was living in a tiny room, and again, he has no choice, and it's in the haps arrangement. So he's he's okay now, like that. He's paying a rent based on his income. Mm. He's a, a pensioner. He's retired. He worked abroad, he worked on ships all over the world, you mm. know, so, mm. and the guy you know is living inside in a small room, you know, and... Is it just they, one room, they, like they the old-fashioned bed Just one room, yeah, yeah, just one room at ground floor level. He goes in the front door, in the hallway, opens the door into his room, and the room is packed. You know, his personal belongings, bits and pieces of uh, clothes, um, a bed jammed into it, he has his TV... Understand and and at the on the end of the page, you know. And any idea it, of the rent there? Um. Well, it's 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 a haps arrangement. No, I'd say the rent could be maybe. I'm not too sure. No, uh, I I don't have my book open, but I I'd, I'd say the rent would be about six or seven hundred a month, you know, including the haps, seven hundred a month, including the haps. In, no, 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 no. That would be the haps uh, payment. And does he pay on and top of that? Then? receiving from Castle Council. So if you get seven hundred hap from the council, does the does the tenant yeah. top that up? And the tenant then will pay what a rent based on his income. So he may be paying about twenty eight euro a week for that small tiny room, you know. So it could be anywhere over eight hundred euro then for that little tiny little thing a month. It could be seven or eight hundred a month. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Okay. And that's where the half billion euro comes in, nailed then, you know, to private, private landlords. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, you know, some might say it would be the situation would be an awful lot worse if there weren't private landlords renting then. But then again, well, that's why we have 1,544 a month average Cork City rent. You can make that argument, but it's the, it's the failure of the political establishment to provide housing in the first place that, that we now have this emergency, this housing crisis, you know. Okay. Thanks, Ted, as always. Uh, we'll stay in touch right, with you. Workers' Party Councillor Ted Tynan. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. And back to the phone lines we go, and then I'll do some text. Aga, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, your daughter, your lovely daughter, is a year and a half on a waiting list for a she, consultant. Yeah. Well, she could be another 12 and a half years on it. I know, that's shocking, isn't it? It could if be, tw- it could yeah, be 2035 yeah. before she gets seen. Um, so about six months ago, we've got a letter uh, from the CUH hospital uh, to ask us, would we kindly like to stay on the list? That's Since then, I was just like, I'll, yeah, I'll just have to kind of take it in my own hands because the older she's going to be, you know, the problem is going to be bigger. They're getting so, in touch to see yeah. if you want to stay on the list because they think maybe sure, that miraculously yeah. what's wrong with your daughter has if fixed she itself. Might be, yeah, she might fix herself, exactly. <laughs> God almighty. Yeah, and if so, you don't yeah, respond to that letter, they just knock you off the yeah, list. Yeah, they'll take you off the list. So I did respond just in case, hoping that she might be taken this year, but because of COVID, everything got stretched out. And obviously, because of the HSE problems, uh, the computers were hacked. So I started believing that we're going to get an appointment here. But I'm just worried as well for people who have been on a waiting list for a a long time. Should they be checking back in, I wonder, to make sure that they're still on a waiting list and that they haven't been knocked off it? I'd say they should. um, Like, I didn't even expect that we're going to get a letter. But I didn't know, am I still on the waiting list or or am I not? Especially when, you know, like, they're 
details could be wiped out from Correct. there. Correct, and, uh, and it could also be said, we sent you a letter that you didn't respond to, even though you never got that letter. Oh, well, I did got the letter. So no, I don't mean, I mean, that, that could yeah. happen. This HSE, oh, you're no longer on that list. We sent you a letter and you never responded. So then you're going on the back again. So, oh no, that would be very aggravating. So you decided instead to hell with this. You're going to get it done in Poland instead, is it? Yes, because me and my husband are Polish. Uh, although our, our daughter, like we're here 16 years. So uh, like we're residents and our daughter is a citizen as well. She has an Irish passport. But I think it was just easier to um, make an appointment with a private consultant over in Poland, which took me under a week to arrange an appointment to find someone good. And uh, after that, I we flew into Poland. It costed about 70 euros for the appointment. After that, he just said to me, look, give me two months notice. Whenever you need, we can arrange a bed in the hospital for her and it will cost you under a thousand euros to, to fix um, her problem. If you have a thousand euro, of course, and the price of the of flights course, and everything. Yes, well, um, I mean, like, I, I'm in a position that I, I, you know, we have our savings, obviously, and I would do everything for my daughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just have to say, in Poland, probably, if you would be going publicly, you wouldn't be seen that quickly either. But in Poland, is it as bad? Like, would they have a hundred thousand children on a waiting list? Would they have um, a million adults? I'm actually not aware of that. I don't know, but I do presume the waiting lists are long, especially okay. if you kind of think that Poland is ten times bigger. Okay, 10, and would they have a system 10, 10, 10, then where if you're private healthcare here, it's easy? Uh, I do presume so, yeah. The only thing, I didn't have to be on any private healthcare insurance over in Poland. We just go there and pay the money and that's it. But I, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I'd say if you're if you're going privately there, you'd taken quicker as well. Yes. The same as as in Ireland. Okay. Okay. I'm just wondering how badly we are performing with regards to our EU partners. You know, I know the similar problems in the I, UK. You know what? To be honest, I do presume that every single country, like I do, compare Poland to Ireland, and I think that the situation is very, very similar. Well, not all countries. Uh, very much in the well, UK, by and large, healthcare is free. That's true. That's Doctors true. Well, are free. Polish, Prescriptions Polish, are free. Polish healthcare is free as well. So you can go to a GP, you can go to a dentist for free. Uh, you have a, a, a couple of um, specialists that you can actually just attend for free, no problem. And you don't have to go through your GPs. You can just make an appointment and just go. What do you think Which of I a woman who ends up in the psychiatric unit of the Mercy because of chronic nerve pain with her teeth? She is distracted to the point where she has to be admitted for psychiatric care because of pain. I mean, so obviously no one could treat it her before. No, the they pain said. Was uh, they said, yeah, we, we know what we know what's wrong, but it's going to be six to eight months before we can do anything about it. I mean, so it was quicker for her to go to a psychiatric unit. She just couldn't it. deal with the pain anymore. And also, you've oh got, to worry, you better got to worry about somebody in, in that kind of pain that they don't become addicted to painkillers. They would, probably. You know? I mean, it's just yeah. scandalous. It's scandalous. No, definitely, definitely. That's why that, like, I'm in a position to, to be able to attend a, a doctor's a specialist in Poland, and we're very lucky that way that we, you know, that we be able to get, gather the the money to for her surgery for my daughter's surgery. Okay, good um, luck with that. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Aga. Thanks Cheers, appreciate it. Lots then day. on um, eating lunch out in the cold. This is uh, more applicable, I think, to secondary school students. Although I'm told it's happening in some primary schools as well. Morning, yes, it's unacceptable that some secondary schools aren't letting their pupils access to their lockers. Even my daughter's school bag is almost two stone in weight. 
They've closed off the lockers, you see. The school are not letting students stay in the school during the lunch, so they have to bring their school bags out with them as well. They aren't allowed to wear coats in the classroom, and all the windows are open. In years to come, they'll be suffering from bad backs because of the weight of the school bags, and in the meantime, frozen with the cold during class. Probably arthritis in later years. It's ridiculous. I'd imagine the teachers' union would be up in arms if the teachers were expected to carry around two stone in weight from class to class and have their lunch breaks outside. But yet, it's okay for pupils, says Mary. Uh, hi, my, my child is seven years old. Her teacher had her sitting beside the open door in the classroom for seven weeks. She was absolutely freezing. She told me the teacher wouldn't let her keep her coat on. This is absolutely appalling. My daughter's school is the same. The windows and doors are open all day and they have to go out to eat no matter what the weather. While the principal sits in her office watching in case masks are too long and the teachers are inside sitting. Or sorry, masks are off too long and all of the teachers are inside having their lunch sitting. My daughter has stopped eating as if they are not fast enough. One or two teachers shouts about putting masks back on. So it's a race to eat lunch. She's been sick three times in the last five weeks. She gets upset some mornings at the thought of going in, says Linda. This is nothing short of child abuse. Health and safety regulations say people cannot work in an environment below 18 degrees. They're in contravention of those regulations. School is a workplace for children too. I understand that, but we also understand, I suppose, the importance of ventilation and maybe everything is too you know, sanitized in the world we live in now, perhaps, but uh, you need ventilation, I guess. But at the same time, you need people to wear warm clothing and put on a coat if you're sitting in a classroom with all the windows open. Are schools still forcing children to wear those useless school coats? They're useless. They wouldn't, they wouldn't keep, keep warm. They wouldn't keep a fire warm. The poor kids should be able to wear whatever they want. One or two more. Many schools are in breach of the duty of care they have to children. Parents protest and they should, should simply not send their child to school until proper facilities are provided, says Jerry. Uh, the school coat is part of the school uniform and includes everyone to be the same. Uh, initially for kids that couldn't afford the newest North Face, for instance. It's everyone is the same. Why don't people get that? It's a rule, the same as jobs that have uniforms. And two quick one. Why not get the parents to drive to the school for lunch and let the kids eat in the car? won't be long before the school back steps on that stupid rule of eat outside. And a final one, my daughter had to do exams in a hall in the secondary school. Her desk was close to the exit door, which was wide open. There was a cold wind blowing in on her every day of the week of exams. She was not allowed to move table as her name was put on the table. She was given out to if she moved even slightly. She was frozen to the bone daily. Um, yeah, and another thing you don't ma- mention either is how would you perform in an exam? under those circumstances. Text 0868104106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Uh, just uh, switching horses for a, a moment or two. I was telling you around this morning um, that it's not just soccer refs now that are getting grief. The latest now apparently is Mayo, the GA captain, has come out and said that uh, refs have been forced to lock themselves in dressing rooms and call the guardie at local GA matches for fear of safety. And I was telling you yesterday that hundreds of underage soccer matches in Dublin were cancelled because refs are protesting up there now because of the abuse and the threats that they're getting. So that's been happening 
thing in soccer, but apparently it's not exclusively soccer. GAA refs get it as well. And we heard the news of uh, of uh, Y'all United have come up with a plan for the month of November called Ref- uh, Referee Zero Tolerance Month because of ongoing abuse, not just not just by players, incidentally, or coaches, but also parents on the sideline. So it's nothing new. It's just getting worse. But the refs are starting to push back now. Mossy Clohessy is the senior manager at Y'all United and joins me by phone. Mossy, good morning. Good morning, how are you? How bad is it really? I mean, is it all the time? Is there, like, every match has a problem, is it? No, it's not. It's not every game. We, could, we couldn't, we, that'd, be, that'd be a bad thing to say that it's every game. It's just, look, I'd say more than 80% of the games over the week probably go perfectly fine, but it's only that 10% that are, that are really, really negative, you know? And where's it coming from? Is it the managers, the coaches, the players, the parents? Big lucky bag of problems, is it? I, I think you're right there with a big lucky bag of promises. Yeah, I, I think it's everywhere. I think it's coming from all angles. I think it's it's from the even from the coaches, the parents, the players. I think the players are bringing it on because they're hearing it on the sidelines. I think I think that's where it's all coming from. I think that it's just it's what they're hearing they're bringing on, and they're actually you starting to use words that they hear, and the words are getting worse and worse every, every, all the time. You know. So the ref is liable to be called anything from f off to everything else. Exactly. A hundred percent. We've we've heard them all. You know, we look. We we even had an incident down in Yall for the weekend. We had an incident where the, look, uh, and we were doing the referee awareness month. And um, we had an incident with it with a manager, and we, we were lucky, like because of this referee awareness thing, we had a third a third man that was uh, for, that was in between the, the players and the and the manager managers and the coaches, and he was just an observer, and that we were able to go down and defuse it straight away. So is that that was that was very positive. That's something that we took on board. You know, like with regards to managers and coaches, has it become so competitive now in, say, junior or schoolboy leagues? Has it become, you know, because there's league tables and performance and cups to be won, that the fun of it's been taken out of it, that it is sport at the end of the day? It is sport at the end of the day. Um the last thing you want to do is take the fun out of it and that's what we're trying to do with No, but I'm saying this becomes so competitive for the coach and the team to win at all costs I think people are living inside their kids too aren't they you know from shouting and roaring on the sideline I think that's a, that's a big thing if, the, if, if, if we all just kept quiet on the sideline and let the referee referee's game and, and at, the, at the end of the day I think we'll, we'll get results from that and the players themselves, the kids themselves, are they are they mimicking what they're seeing on on television in the Premier League, for instance, and stuff like that? I think so. We're only talking about it the other day. I think the most recent one was over Qatar. Um, Rodriguez, he signed me. He was at Everton. He went over Qatar and he got a yellow card the other day. I seen it, and he went to attack a ref after he got a yellow card. Physically, is it? Yeah, he was trying. To, his players were actually trying to pull him back. So the kids are watching this stuff too. And they're you like know? sponges, aren't they, kids? Kids heads like sponges. A coach is there. A coach does a great job in teaching kids, and that's the positivity of kids' heads being sponges because the coaches are there to teach them. And then when we're there to teach them, they're learning. So that's the positive out of a kid's head being a sponge. But they're actually learning what, what's happening around them and outside of the game then as well, and they're bringing that into the game. So you're, you're very much aware of what's happening in Dublin where they've cancelled all matches because the refs have come out in protest. Yeah, we were just after our first weekend of the referee awareness week, and uh, and then like, it was inside and working. One of the one of, I sent the one of the referees in Cork sent me an email showing me what would happen in yeah. Dublin. And he said he said what you're doing in y'all, keep doing what you're doing in y'all. Let's hope it has an effect on the rest of us. Did you you refed for a while, didn't you? 
I risked for a while. I was in the FAI Academy in Cork, and part of the the course was that we get our referees' licenses. And when we were doing the course, it was it was another way for us to to get involved in the game and see a different aspect of the game and, and probably make a couple of pound extra. And did the you game stick then. with it? I quit it. Yeah, I, like it's not that I quit it. I stopped it. I never. I wouldn't say I quit it, but I stopped doing it because of the level of abuse. Yeah, I didn't think. It, it, I wasn't going there for the money. I was going there for the love of the game, and the money. The money didn't. The money didn't. And in your case, matter, were you know? getting abuse from managers, coaches, players, and, and parents? I think it was an under twelves game. I won't say where, but I had an yep. under twelves game, and it was a parent. A parent that was uh, abused me. Abused, uh, abused the hell out of me just for an offside that I that I that I didn't see. I don't know. If I made the decision that the, I, when I turned, she said I didn't see it. I thought I she. Seen I thought I seen the player. Yeah, she. Yeah, yeah. And she thought like I I seen the ball being played. I thought he was onside, and she she just abused me, saying he, the the child was offside. But it was from the angle that I looked at it, and uh. I felt that I felt that the kid was onside, and then. The level of abuse after that, I, I think I stopped it after that. I it just that upset you game. so much that you said, I'm never going to ref again. No, I, like, I'm involved. It's just an area that, that I didn't want to focus on. But I, it was upsetting me. I, like, I focus on coaching and I focus on development. And that's, a, that's, the, that's the area I went into. But if something know? doesn't change, we'll have no refs left at all. We'll be using video technology. That'd be hard to afford now in Irish football. No, but you see it? what I'm saying? Like there was a young female ref abandoned a match and quit refing. It was her first match last weekend. She quit after the underage game. Never going to do it again. Then, and we're scaring them away. That's that, that, that's fear in the game now, isn't there? There's fear. There's fear in there. there you know, the fear of going in and getting the fear of getting abused. Like we got to we got to try get all these out. It's like these are all issues that we have. Now we got to try and find solutions for these issues. And try and find the positivities to come out of this. I know. And one way that you're going to do it in y'all is that um, you have Ref Zero Tolerance Month for November. What what does that involve? So I was back in September. I seen that there was a lot of games called off in y'all. That it was for lack of referees. And last September, I contacted the referee society, and I told them that I had a, I, get, I sent I told them I had an idea. So they told me to send on a draft. So I sent down a draft of what my ideas for Referee Awareness Month. That was in September, and I told them I was going to do it in November. So basically, when the referee walks in the gate, the two managers and the referee, they meet, and a representative of the club meet together. Um, the referee is handed a questionnaire. So in the questionnaire, it says did he, well, the, the behavior of the home team, the away team, the, the spectators, and did he feel that he has anything to add? And then there was a man of the match at the end of it. So that kind of gave the referee a voice within the club as well. So when the game, before the game kicks off, I had the referee meet meet both teams uh, before they exit or before they enter the field of play. So the referee and the both sets of teams enter the field of play together. It created unity with the referee before any whistle or any ball. And are they clapped on and clapped off then? Well, when they were walking on, so all the kids, all the kids then were singing, you know, like the Champions League music. They felt important. They felt it was a different view of the game that they were having, and I thought that I thought that was absolutely fantastic. So, in during the game, obviously the the game went on. The referee made his decisions. The scoreline was a scoreline, and after the game, then the referee goes to the centre of the field. Both managers present themselves to the ref at the centre of the field, but as the ref ent- exits the field of play, the both teams are waiting for him as he just exits exits the pitch and they're giving them a, a round of applause as he, as he exits the field fair play fair play that's Hopefully. an idea I found from rugby I used to play rugby when I was younger 
and I up on y'all and I thought that was one of the one of the best things after a game because you're 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 straight away you're running down to to a thought and to appreciate and I thought that was absolute. You'll see it like you'll see it at the, in the Ireland match and, and against right. New Zealand for That's the weekend. Right. That's they'll right. walk off the pitch. They'll all applaud each other off the pitch. It's it's a sign of respect. No matter what happens on the field, at least you have that sign of respect when you're walking. Leave it on the field. You know what I mean? Good man yourself, Mossy. Um, good luck with it across November and hope it continues even beyond that. And maybe it might be picked up nationally. I think it's a great idea. It certainly could make all of the difference going forward. I'll stay in touch with you and see how it goes, all right? Yes, of course. Thank you very Cheers, much. Cheers, my man. Yeah. Mossy Clahasi down you. in Y'all United. Back after 11 on 1850-104-106. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. With another opportunity to win a 250 euro voucher for Michelle the Jewelers. They're celebrating 60 years of being there for you on Patrick Street in the middle of Cork City. A family run business. So a 250 euro voucher to spend on whomever and whatever you wish in Michelle the Jewelers. And you can check them out online as well. And on Friday, it's a 1000 euro voucher. You do some serious damage with a grand in Michelle the Jewellers. A thousand on Friday. So we'll have two finalists. I'll open the phone lines. Two listeners head to head and I only have the diamond cards from the deck of cards. All the diamonds. Whoever has the highest diamond card wins the 250 euro. So you will hear this cue to call again sometime between now and 10 minutes to midday. Diamonds are forever Alright. They are all I need to please me Thank you, Shirley. So when you hear that again, call us 10 and 11 on one 850 Louis, Louis Walsh has announced that he's holding auditions for a new boy band and a new girl band in late November. You'll have to make your way to Vicar Street in Dublin and I'll chat with him between now and midday. Maybe something you might want to do, become an, an, one of the next uh, pop stars. Um, why not? I mean, it worked with the X Factor and he certainly has the Midas touch of that, you can be sure. So all that and lots more besides. Back to the phone lines we go. John, good morning. Morning, Neil. Uh, just back to Eamon Ryan, yeah, and his um, his double PCR test. The first one positive, the second one negative. You wanted to pick up well, on it? I, I did, and which is amazing, like that he was he's after making history because he got shot COVID. <laughs> Very short, on the space of uh, twenty four yeah, hours. Uh, a question, Neil. Uh, why was he so happy with the second one? Because it suited his agenda. Um, he want, Well, certainly it suited his agenda because he wanted to go to COP26. He's a green TD. He, he was desperate to be there. He didn't, he break, any, he didn't break any protocols, though, in, in, his, in fairness. Well, but you'll listen, Greta would have sent him a signed photograph. He should have relaxed. But listen to me. We now have a problem where he was uh, uh, tested. Was he the only one who got a false reading? Or, or has that central contacted anybody else to say that well uh, here's the thing we, I, do, I don't know who contacted who did like did Eamon Ryan ask for a second test she did of course or did the HSE contact him to offer him a second test well let me put it to you like this like that that that's a statement that you just made answers the, the question because if nobody else got a call back from the HSE to say that they weren't happy about the testing and he did. It would. It would look that he made the, the the what you call it the approach to them. 
So if he made the approach saying, I want to be tested again, yeah. um, that doesn't seem fair to everybody else who doesn't have the same facility. Ah, but look, are you, you're talking about a government in fairness. No, I'm saying if yeah. that was the case. Because what the HSE said was, in certain instances where clinically indicated, a repeat test may be recommended for an individual. The HSE spokeswoman said it's typically based on a discussion between the testing lab and the person requesting the test. So that kind of indicates to me that he asked for a second test. I, I, would, I would think so too because it didn't suit his agenda. He was, he was going to Scotland come hell or high water. But does that not raise the perception that there's one rule for them and there was another rule for the rest of us? Why, did you ever think it was different in any other aspect? Well, I thought the same protocols would apply to all, all people. God love you. Yeah. <laughs> God love you, he says. I know. <laughs> no, but listen, like when he does get back from, from uh, Scotland, maybe he might uh, fill in the blanks uh, or maybe uh, somebody from the HSE might, might fill in the blanks. And they might also tell us why uh, nurses... And healthcare workers have been told that uh, they're going to lose their job because uh, they don't agree with being uh, jabbed with an experimental drug. Why, why can't they give them an antigen test daily? And, uh, I have no idea why they don't do that. Um, I mean, I'm told anyway, it's almost impossible to get even antigen tests in boxes in pharmacies these days. And if you did want yes. to get antigen tests going forward, you're going to have to pay for them. Why everybody well, hasn't an option to have an antigen test? You'd be safer than anybody with an antigen test. Yeah, yeah, you will, of course. But tell me, when is the whole thing going to fall down when the people have been told that they're going to have to pay for the, for, for the booster uh, injection so they can get their booster passport? Because anyone that was done six months ago, their, their time is up. Now That's you, true. Now you have to get a booster. That is true. That is true. So, so what's it going to be? It's going to be like 60 euros for the doctor, is it? No, and I, it's going to be maybe 40 euros for the... Well, the flu job the, would cost you 60 euros, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, so there you go. It'll be the same. It'll be maybe a mm-hmm. flu jab in the one arm, COVID jab in the other arm, booster, yeah. so and, and 60 euro for the two. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm just curious to what Eamon Ryan did say. He says, it is standard to have a second test. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you have a test and you and, and, and it's not a good test, you've told you have to isolate for 14 days and that's it. Well, maybe if you have a COVID test and you have no symptoms and you test positive, you might have a second test three or four days later, maybe. <laughs> no? Tell me, tell me, was he not interested in going for a, for a third one, just to make doubly sure, like? Like... The second one, in case the second one wasn't correct. See, if everybody that's watching this story is probably thinking, he got the second test because he was desperate to go to... COP26, or or is it another story that, in actual fact, the PCR tests are not accurate? They're not. And that people are testing positive who aren't, and people are testing negative who are. I told you a long time ago, on this radio show, that the PCR tests were not solid because the man who came up with the test said it it depends on what height you set the barriers, it could pick up a pain in your toe and say that you've got COVID. Well, I don't know anything about that, but I do know I do know that antigens were being accused of being um, precarious in the sense that I got a text here saying my son did two antigen tests and was negative on the same day in the two antigen tests when he did a PCR it was positive. 
see, and you wonder about yeah. even the antigen. So I, I don't know. I mean, well, well, for a, for a guy that's that's pushing uh, saving the planet and and, and saving the, the country, uh, I think he he uh, he was the country an explanation as to exactly what went on. He says you know? he followed health guidelines at all times, received two different results and two tests for COVID. But why would one be negative? Why would one be positive and then the second one negative? Why, like? Yeah. Is it a clinical error or what? Right, and tell me now. Like, technically, he should have uh, isolated for 14 days at home. So, did somebody come to him to do the test or did he have to go back to the same clinic? And if he did, he broke the rules by going back after getting getting a a test that says that he got COVID. That is another super unanswered question. Correct. Yeah, but you see, since this has started, there are an awful lot of unanswered questions by scientists who either know the answers and won't tell us, or don't know the answers. Well, and I, I, and listen, I accept that, but that's all, that's kind of for another day. The the, the story is here is why yeah. why did he get a second test, and would everybody else be able to, if they wanted to travel on their holidays, would they be given an option? Okay, well, listen, wait 24 hours, we'll try you again and see if you can go on holidays then. I thought it, it, couldn't, it couldn't work like that if everybody turned around and said that they wanted to get a second go. But they should be entitled to it if he is. Uh, you'll see, you just used the word entitlement. That's, right. that's a complete, that's a, that's, that's a complete d- different uh, horse of a, a different colour. So people are are people are right to believe you think that it's um, you know one set of rules for us and one set of rules for politicians. But you listen, you're around almost as long as me. Has it ever been different? Has it? Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you as always, John. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Lads, pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Now the text here. There's a phrase going around in the UK: lateral flow. We don't know. PCR. Yes, we are. Um, lateral floor antigen tests and people are concerned whether they actually work or not. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. As I mentioned, I'll be chatting with uh, Louis Walsh because Louis's back on the lookout. He's looking for talented young singers to form new bands, boy bands, girl bands, and he's holding auditions. And boy, I tell you one thing, he's had some success in the past, lads. <laughs> Shane, I'll always remember at boot camp when I asked you why you wanted to do this and you told me you wanted to have a better life and I want you to have a better life and I want you to win this competition tonight because you deserve it. Absolutely. I think we've got the best girl pop groups in Spice Girls. They're all great fun. They've all got different personalities, different looks. They can sing, they can dance. They've got everything. Lou does all the big deals, he does all the crazy stuff, and then we have like a tour manager and he just kind of tells, Louis tells him what to do and then we do it. Louis, yes or no? Oh, absolutely yes. Morning, Louis. 
Hello, Neil. Does How it, are you? Does it bring all the memories flooding back again? All the hits. All, all the, the hits. You left out Samantha Mamba, but that's fine. I can't get them all in. You just have you just have the magic touch to be here all well, morning. Well, I've been at it all my life, you know. You know, I started off with Johnny Logan and Eurovision and all that, and show bands, which I love working with. I know, but, um, I know. I mean, like the way- I love it. It's not like a real job today, you know. Listen, it, I mean, because in looking back at the likes of say. X Factor. It was nail biting, edge of the seat stuff. It was nail, and you know it was all real. We never knew the votes ever, ever, ever. People thought we were in on it. We never knew the votes, and it was like I was when I was pushing there for Shane um, Ward and GLS. You know, I was I was fighting for every vote against Simon. You know, I know. It it just, do, do these do shows like that? Do they just run their course or what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I was on it for 15 years or something, and I was over and back to London, and I loved it. But I was in the bubble, and I was totally living it and working it, and we really did mentor, you know? We, yeah. I, I was picking all the songs, and, you know, you were trying to get folks. It was like it was like politics, you know? Because when you have the band then, and when you have, have the act, different to, say, for instance, uh, the Dragons, Dennis, because we, we think a lot, we hear a lot of that, but they, a lot of those fail. But you, you have to work it then, don't you? You have to work you the band. You have to work and you have you get a chance and you get you get a short time if you win a competition you have like you must get the record out and you must have it ready in the next few months and ready to go because if not there's another one coming along and there's another one in the following year and so like you know there's been an awful lot of those competitions but X Factor was the best the, all the other shows copy X Factor and copy everything that Simon Carroll did on the show you know? it was an amazing phenomenal success and it you want to get back into the ring again now you want to get back into the gladiator well, ring of music well, Westlife is sold out, you know, they're doing, they're doing two Corks, you know, they're doing yeah. two Avivas, they're doing Wembley Stadium as well, their album's coming out, you know, that, that just works, that just works, and I've nothing else to do, and during the pandemic I was listening to music, and, and well, two people approached me from the UK, Brian Higgins and Colin Barlow, they're pretty big names in the business, and they said, "Listen, find us something new in Ireland." So I'm looking for something new, but I don't know what it is. Neil, it could be a boy band, it could be a girl band, it could be both, or it could be solo girls or solo boys. We just want to find something new, young talent. Okay, because yeah. the time is right there for must, yeah. There must be look. We haven't had a big pop act since um, One Direction and Little Mix, and both of them came from X Factor. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's nothing in Ireland either. We had Westlife, we had the script, which is, oh, we have Lyra, she's good. She's from Clock. She's good. But um, we've nothing, we don't have nobody new major star. What were, you, what were you proudest of? Would it have been a Girls Aloud? Would it have been a Westlife or, or Boys Own? Yeah. Um, no, i say it was Westlife because the longevity is there and because they, they work all around the world and they're still fresh. They're still workers, you know. And, you know, they were, you know, they're great singers. Yeah. They, Why do they, they quit they, and come back again? Is that is that normal protocol these days with pop stars? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't be out there all the time. You, you have to go away. Then people want you to come back. And the thing about Westlife is they have, like, hits, hits, hits. Yeah. They've had so many albums. People can go along to any of their concerts. They're going to know every song. Yeah, yeah. And they always put on a good show. But listen, we need something new. Oh, I know, I know, but it's like world domination really seems to centre around, okay, Westlife without a doubt, and then there's Ed Sheeran and Adele. Hard to topple them, right? Oh, my God. And I have a number one this week and have sold more copies than the rest of the top 40 put together. What's the secret? Songs. 
Is it's that songs? It's yeah. all about songs. And Ed has great songs. Adele has great songs. You know, and App have great songs. Coldplay have great songs. You too. You know, anyone that has any lasting. They have to have hit, hit, hit. It's a fantastic word you use, actually, lasting. Because I was just looking at the different, yeah. t- you know, who's touring now and who's selling out the big arenas? Well, it's Rod Stewart, Elton John, yeah. the Eagles, Springsteen, Garth yeah. Brooks, yeah. the ABBA. Yeah. What's going on? Uh, yeah, and Westlife. And take, we'll never take that comeback. If, if, if somebody has a lot of hits, you know, like a whole back catalogue, people know what they're going to get. Look at Garth Brooks. He's going to sell out five nights, yeah. which is great. Yeah. And he hasn't had a hit in a long, long time. Yeah. But he has the old songs. And the back catalogues like there, like, yeah. Back catalogues, you can't go wrong. Rolling Stones the same. You too. I forgot, I forgot. Yeah, you're right. Stones, you too, add them into the mix. And, but they have to tour, don't they, Louis? Because they'll make That's no money otherwise. Because how how, what, what are your thoughts on Spotify and streaming? They're only getting pittance. Yeah, but that's that's the new world we live in. That's the new world we live in. You know, I used to love going to record shops. I still go into Tower Records in Dublin. Uh, I miss the old record shops and the old CDs, to be quite honest with you. But this is the new world, and you, you make your money on touring and, and merchandise and endorsements. I know I know, we go it's way off way. topic in our chat, but vinyl is back oh. big time. I, was, oh, I, heard, yeah. I heard yesterday oh, yeah. that for an artist or an act, they're desperate to get vinyl out, and there's a six-month waiting list to press their vinyl. Did you hear that? I did, and I know about it, yeah, because people are just buying them now, and people are buying old record players to play them on. Why is players. that, I wonder? Is it all nostalgia these days after the last it's couple of years? nostalgia. I mean, listen, I'm, I bet you, you loved a bit of vinyl. Love, love it. Love it. And I love, I love looking at the albums and reading the sleeve notes and who produced, who wrote, and all that. The whole process of taking the album out and putting it on the turntable and popping on yeah. the needle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the scratches and all that, and then turning it over. And I have all my old, old records, and I love them. You know, also, I often wondered as to the term boy band and girl band. Can you really be a boy band or a girl band if you don't play instruments? Or does that matter anymore? I don't know. I mean, I think the Beatles were kind of a boy band. So I don't know. <laughs> they, they were. They played yeah. instruments and wrote their own music. <laughs> Most of the time, yeah. It is. But, you know, when they were in the Star Club in Hamburg, you know, they were doing like four or five hours a night. That's how they became such a brilliant band. You know? yeah, yeah. And they were doing covers of everything and working at it. And they wrote amazing songs, timeless, timeless songs. Okay, so you now are looking, and there's only a couple of days left. You haven't extended yeah. the closing date, no? Is it still well, Friday? It, 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 yeah, well, it could be, could be, it, it could be next week. But it's at auditions <laughs> at louiswalt.com. If there's somebody listening, Neil, that thinks they've got talent, or some mother or father who thinks their son or daughter have got something. It's, it's auditions at louiswalsh.com. Send me in some kind of a video, you know, contacts, pictures, sing a song, and we're going to pick the best, and we're going to audition them then in Dublin, in Vicker Street, in a few weeks later. And what are you looking for? Um, will you, would you be able to tell in the first few seconds kind of thing? Well, I want someone to be in and look good, personality, be prepared to work this, because it's, really, it's going to be tough anyway for anybody. To make it, you've got to work harder than ever, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's more promo to do, there's more everything to do, and everybody else has. I mean, there's so many great buskers, even in Grafton Street and Dunham. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and they're probably in Cork as well. There's somebody listening. That, that knows somebody that's good. Auditions at louiswalsh.com. You have nothing to lose. And then you take different individuals and you mold them into a band, is it? 
You, you, you get the chemistry if, right. If we get the right people, whoever the right people are, it could be a solo girl, it could be a solo boy. I'd love to get a young Justin Bieber or a young Billy Eilish or a young, just young talent, basically. Is there an age profile in this? Did I read something like 16 yeah. to 21 or something? Yeah, in or around that. You know, it's not set in stone. You know, for the right people, I, I don't care. Okay. Because a lot of them might already have something done. They could have it on their own TikTok clip or they could have it on Instagram yes. or, the, you know, so I that would... Love, just send it to me. Auditions at LillyWalsh.com. You've nothing to lose. And um, we're going to see what's out there. And it's about time you somebody else famous for Cork. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll rise to that challenge. You can be yeah. sure of it. You said that next like year's. Lyra. You said that next like year's going to. Who? Lyra, the girl that, from Cork. Absolutely, yeah. Good. And Ali Sherlock springs to mind. She's a famous Cork oh, busker who went on huge talent. She she has a great record deal. I'm told. See, yeah. so I, I I think she's definitely one to watch for next year. We could talk all day about people who started busking and then went on to huge things. Rod Stewart, amongst them, of course. Ed Sheeran, you know. There um, you go. Yeah. Yeah, um, Dermot uh, Kennedy. Um, I remember the Hot House Flowers and busking in Graft Street and stuff, you know. And it's great. You were saying recently that next year is going to be a great year for music because thank God people will be touring again and there'll be gigs everyone, again. Neil, everyone is going out to tour next year. There's going to be gigs everywhere. everywhere. Yin, yeah, yeah. And all the big names are out there. Okay, and you're going to add to that list in the coming future. Hopefully. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully I find something good. All right, my man. Good luck with that. People have until early next week. Cheers, Louis. Look after yourself. Auditions at louiswalsh.com. They will not be open auditions due to COVID guidelines and you are asked to supply the clip of yourself performing. And that can be a link to a YouTube or an Instagram or a TikTok or something you just filmed on your phone. But as he says, if you don't give it a go, you'll never know. So bang it off. Auditions at louiswalsh.com. And he is dead right. Uh, we're way overdue. Some new talent to go stratospheric on Lee side. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Ah, yes, indeedy. From yesterday's ranting and ravings of myself about the millennials and the thumbs up. I love millennials. I love them all. Hipsters, the lot bring them on. But the thumbs up emoji being F off, I don't get that. I'm 23 and I use the thumbs up as any normal person would. And I think phone calls are way easier than texting because you can find out what you need to know straight away and you're not wasting time texting back and forth. Can't come on air to talk about this as I'm at work. But I hope this makes you feel younger, Neil, as not all young people are afraid to take calls, says Paddy, who's 23 in ovens. Well, I did a bit of, uh, you know, research again yesterday with uh, 20-somethings and they actually don't like getting phone calls. They prefer to get a text. And even if it's a text to ask them if they can phone, they like that too because they like to be prepared for the incoming phone call and need a bit of notice. (laughs) Honestly, this is what I've been told. Uh, Please send a shout out to the gang working in the lab with the UN due to come home soon. I put the word working in inverted commas, Neil, because they're still getting the sunshine. So a big shout to all of you out in the lab and homecoming soon. Everybody looking forward to seeing you, all of the families. My best friend is heading to the Lebanon in nine days time for her first overseas stint with the Irish Army. She'll be gone for seven months. Her favourite time of the year is Easter because it's also cream egg season. She is gutted that she will miss it this year and we have searched high and low in local shops and supermarkets and online for cream eggs to no joy. Is there any chance you could put it out there uh, to your listeners who might have seen them anywhere at all in Cork recently? You'd make her a very happy girl before heading off next week. 
Thanks a million. I only just found out recently that cream eggs are seasonal. And you know, you want to know the reason why? Um, I had a box of them at home that it was given some time back. Might have been last year. Don't know. And I brought them in here and uh, one or two individuals said, hang on a second, you can't be giving those out to people because they're way beyond their best before. They're, How's that? How, what are you talking about? They're Cadbury's cream eggs. They're chocolate. Like, how can they be? Oh, no, they only come out at Easter time. Really? I thought they were on the shelves all year round, but apparently not. But there is a shop on uh, the Cold K. Forgive me, I can't remember the family name of the shop. Um, and they sell all sorts of sweeties and goodies and chocolates and all sorts of household stuff very cheaply. And you'd never know. There might well be um, uh, Cadbury cream eggs there, either by the half dozen or the box. But if anybody has cream eggs, could you please get in touch with us and we'll send them out to the Lebanon because they want them overseas and they want them for Easter. Uh, so I don't have any cream eggs at the moment. I have a bit of a glut all right on the bounty sweets from the celebration box, if that's any good for you. And then on whether or not dogs see colours or not. Dogs can see in colour, Neil. I had a blue jumper as a kid for hacking around in the garden. I used to play I used to play fight with my bearded collie in it. And every time I used to put it on, she used to attack me and rip me around the garden because she knew it was playtime. I loved that jumper, says Tina. Tina, you're telling me that the dog knew that it was a blue jumper. And that's why when the dog saw the blue jumper, that's why she wanted to play. She related to the days when you used to play in that jumper. You don't think she just knew it was a jumper and that it looked kind of grey or dark? Um, maybe people should get back, get back to black and white as dogs are a much happier species. <laughs> oh, I love that. Let's get back to basics, back to black and white, because you never see an unhappy dog. Are dogs colorblind? It seems to be a bone of contention, all right, <laughs> says Billy Morrissey. Neil, you have three primary colors. They are red, blue and green. By mixing these colors, you get all the different colors. Being colorblind, you cannot differentiate between vari- variations of color. For example, dark red or a light red. You see it as the one red. So if you're missing any one of the primary colors, you won't get the mix and are therefore colorblind. Thank you. I had to have it explained to me the difference yesterday between colorblind and not seeing colors. Apparently dogs see in kind of like greys and shades only, I believe. Thank you. You might get the cream eggs at Peg Toomey's shop on the Cold K. Thanks, Emer. Appreciate it. And just two more here on the Savoy, the wonderful days of the Savoy. Here's another one for you. My uncle used to take the tickets from the patrons at the Savoy. There was an entrance to the cinema just below the entrance to the gods, where my brother and myself would wait. We used to get in for free on a Saturday. Happy days. We would peep through the timber and glass doors for the nod to come through. I got married, not in the Imperial, but at Cork Airport in 1967. The Imperial was common. Only kidding, says Jim. Far from common. Have you been in the Imperial recently? Or the Metropole? The money pumped into both of them. Two gorgeous hotels. And poor old Tommy with the 7,500 euro cocaine debt to dealers. Stephen says, I can relate to Tommy. I myself am in the same situation. But lucky for me, I'm sleeping in my van. My God, and you consider that lucky. But it's the crack cocaine that has me down and out. At least I have my methadone and I work during the day. So I'm able to get my head down at night in my van. I do feel for Tommy. It's not easy out there at the moment. It's very hard. Thanks for hearing the boy out, Neil. And I hope he gets sorted, says Stephen. And I hope you do too, pal. I really and truly do. Um, I think you've hit rock bottom at this stage. And for you, I hope it's only upwards and the things improve for you. 
For you, it was crack cocaine. For, for Tommy, it was um, cocaine itself. I don't have an update on Tommy, incidentally. Uh, if and I do, and there's good news, I'll bring it back to you. But an interesting observation from the streets of Cork from Monday. Hi, Neil and gang. Yesterday, I saw a deal going down around Paul Street. Two well-dressed men in their 30s approached a man sitting on the ground who was begging. I overheard them. They asked him how many deals he wanted and if anyone else needed it. This is happening on our streets every day. Man sits on the ground begging. You give him cash, caused by your middle-class guilt. Man buys drugs. Drug dealer gets rich. Man has to stay begging to keep his habit going. Get this right in your head. If you give these guys with drink and drug problems money, you are keeping them on the street. Have the strength people to pass by. There are other ways to help these people. This is not helping them. It's only helping you. It's only helping dealers. Thank you for that email to neil at uh, redfm.ie. Okay, so I'm up to date now for now with, with regards to texts and uh, I'll come back to them again uh, in the morning and some emails that are held over as well. But back to the phone lines we go. Barry Looney joins me. Barry, good morning. Good morning. What is the story with um, the five diaries of Michael Collins? Um, they cover the period 1918 to his death in 1922 and they've gone to Dublin now to the National Archives. Is that right? That's right, yeah, that's right. I saw it on the National News um, on Monday night. And are we okay and, uh, with that? Are we okay with them leaving Cork, are we? Well, I'm not so much about um, Michael Collins himself. I'm talking about the promotion of Cork City and, and Munster and uh, the poor relations sort of thing that we seem to get treated with down here. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, where the Collins have had Personally, this is only a personal view. As far as I'm concerned, the Collins family dropped the ball by uh, giving them to the state. But I appreciate that that's their wish to give them to the National Archives. But we have a museum down in Cork City with Michael Collins' uh, memorabilia in it. And surely, be to goodness, someone could have got on. When Obviously, Hall Martin and Coveney and the rest of them must have known about these diaries because it must have been contacted first. Well, and not only do we have the museum in the Fitzgerald's Park, but we also have another museum, don't we, at Collins Barracks? Well, exactly, yes, exactly. And the thing is, could I have just stopped for once have said, OK, look, listen, is there any chance that this time Collins being a Corkman, these diaries could stay in Cork City? And if they want to make digital copies, give them to the National Archives in Dublin. Why is it that we have to be the poor relations all the time and have the digital copies down here and say, oh, well, you know, they're saying then that they're for the study of uh, the public scholars and researchers what about our public scholars and researchers? We have one of the biggest universities in Europe down the road from where I live. And we have, we have um, not alone, we, we have that, we have Fitzgerald's Park. Mm. They, could, they, could do, they could do that. They could his tuni- his tunic is there, isn't it? His revolver is there, his cap is there, is, a lot yes, of his memorabilia there, is there. Yeah. But I know what they're saying, well, researchers, but we have, we have researchers, let the researchers come down here or let them look at their copies in Dublin just for once. Or or uh, or prominent Cork politicians, they let us know. They just had worked in some such a way that they said this time, look, let us keep them. Okay. Well, because we did contact the Collins family, and if you just bear with me, it's a very lengthy response, and I thank them well, for course, it. But just yeah. a couple of the paragraphs. They very much okay. wanted the diaries to remain in West Cork, if at all possible. The Collins family said. But they were strongly advised by experts in total good faith that unfortunately, due to their fragile state and their importance, that they needed to go to the, nation, the nation's archive 
for conservation, preservation and digitalization. They need suitable temperature control and environmental control. They did they said that the diaries will be copied and digitized and their understanding is that the copies will be so good that no one will be able to tell the difference from the original. And that the diary, the original diaries, will be back at the Michael Collins house in Clonakilty for two months next year for the centenary of his death. Actually, it's the 100th anniversary of his assassination next year, as you know. Uh, how, yeah. uh, there's just a couple of paragraphs in the Collins family and thank them for it. How do you feel about well, that? Well, well, it's not very generous of them to send back digital copies to the Collins. Um, no, no, it, forgive me now, you may not have heard me. The original diaries will go back to Clonakilty for two yeah, well, months next they year. Will, yes, but they'll only go back for the two or three weeks when, when they have the exhibition. You believe they should never have left Cork? No, they should have not lived off. We have a perfectly good museum down in Fitzgerald's Park, and we have the big university, UCC. They should have been kept there. And don't try and tell me, or anyone try and tell me, that they couldn't have been preserved by those people, because they know. We have experts in Cork as well, you know. They're not all up in Dublin. And what made me die more so was in Catan Martin, who was at this t- t- presentation that we saw in the news? She's what is she's the tourist culture tourist manager or uh, culture minister. And what about the tourism in Cork? Look at the footfall that would have been for uh, the, the museum of Fitzgerald's Park. The whole lot is it a na- is it not a national treasure that everybody should see that we should share well, it with the rest of the country yeah, oh, considering yeah. his oh, significance? Yeah. I mean, he was he was very very important to the formation of the oh, state, yeah. as you know. Well, I have no I have no problem with that. I have no problem whatsoever. But let me just say this to you: Would you go all the way to the Louvre to watch a copy uh, to look at a copy and of, of the Mona Lisa, or would you go to the, the um, a church in Northern Italy to watch to look at? A copy of the fresco of the Last Supper. People wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. You know, they're asking people then from Cork and Munster, Waterford, Limerick, Tipperary, to go up to Dublin to see if they want to see the originals. But I'm not even to, sure that you'll see the originals in Dublin. I think you'll see a copy. But they'll, they'll have them there. The diaries will be copied, and the copies were so good that anyone will be, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, and where, where will the originals be? So. They'll be stacked away down in, the, down in some vault or something like that. That's a load of rubbish, that is. They should be left the court. I, as I said, I, I appreciate the okay. Collins family for what they've done, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm promoting Cork and Munster okay. and, and UCC and Fitzgerald's Park Museum. We have our own museum. They should have been left there. As Simon Coveney says, it's a significant donation to the state from the Collins family, and we thank them and that uh, the family have been very generous, etc., etc. So he's, he's okay <laughs> yeah. with it. Well, I, 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 I wouldn't miss the first time. I hope you think what I think of his statement. So. Okay, <laughs> you know. all right. Let's see what other people think of it. Appreciate it. Thank okay, you for that, no, Barry. Much for obliged. That. Lines Bye-bye. open at 1850, 104, 106. The period of the diary is 1918 to his death in 1922. Uh, he's an amazing uh, man. I mean, uh, parts of his career actually was when he was the IRA's Director of Intelligence, where he ran, established and ran a network of spies operated within the British administration at Dublin Castle. He had spies in the castle. Of course, he was a member of the First Oil and things like that and uh, was shot in Bale the Blois. And the 100th anniversary of that will be on the 22nd of August next year. I imagine there'll be some very important centenary events to mark that. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. It's an important phone number for many different reasons, including... Diamonds are forever 
And dialing now, call us 10 and 11, 1850-104-106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 1850-104-106. Red FM. All right, caller 10 starts and then caller 11 goes second. So caller 10 is John and Mallow. Morning, John. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, my man. This is very simple and straightforward. So just hold on there. Jennifer Sullivan is at Phelan's Pharmacy on Baker's Road. Jennifer! Hello, Neil. How are, are you? Are you ready? Are you feeling good about a 250 euro voucher? I am indeed. And would you Always. S- would you spend it upon yourself? I would share it with my boss at work. That's Free. not the truth now. I know you wouldn't. You'd buy something for yourself and wear it on your wrist or wear it around your neck or something. And they'd all be lucky at me. Don't you go sharing this with your boss. Your boss can do his or her own thing. What about you? You'd give it up, John, though, I'd say, would you? You'd surrender it. Um, well, I, I was listening to your show all week and I think there was a girl, Michelle, on two days ago who didn't get a chance to pick a card. I think the girl was very lucky and got the ace automatically. Yeah. Um, I just felt that she, she was kind of personally down about it so maybe she wanted to pick something out. So I, I'd like to donate 100 euros of it to her and I'd give 150 euros to my mother. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. So. You're all giving it away, Jennifer, to her boss. And you know what? <laughs> I only have Penny's jewellery. <laughs> <laughs> You're so kind, well, John. I have no jewellery at all. So. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal, right? I have the entire... Well, I don't have the entire deck, but I have all of the diamond cards here, okay? And ace is high. Ace is the top card. So there's 13 of them. You're first, John, right? So it's your opportunity. Give okay. me a number between 1 and 13. Let's see what card it is. Um, I'll go for 6, the age of my son. So. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. It's an ace! Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And I would be struck down dead for telling a lie. Jennifer! Yes, Neil. I know you're very down. It's an ace. What oh, do I do now? You're doing, you just have to go away and tell your boss you're not going to be sharing the prize because you didn't I win. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll be talking to you tomorrow now because I'll be on the phone again. <laughs> Do try again tomorrow. My sincerest apologies. The no ace cards all. always win and John wins a mellow, all right? Father, no well done, John. Cheers, Jennifer. Bye. Take Thanks care. So, John, 250 euro voucher of which you want to give 100 to a contestant earlier in the week who had no luck. Are you serious? That's that's correct, yeah. I just felt that uh, she was kind of down and out about us and maybe she wanted to get something personal. So, I said I'd give it a go and that if, if I got through that I would donate 100 euros to her. That's the second um, time this week that the ace came up first. Well, it's amazing. Of all 13 cards. And I give 150 euros to my mother. All right, my man. For Mammy. I can't remember that contestant's name, but I'm sure she'd be... Michelle, I think her name Michelle. was. Fair plate, yeah. Fountain of knowledge. So to your Mammy and Michelle, well done. Fantastic. Cheers, my man. Take care, John. Listen, that's great. I leave my details with the team there. All right, Thank pal. You. Take care. And that's another opportunity gone. Another 250 euro voucher tomorrow, courtesy of ourselves, Michelle the Jewelers. And on Friday, a thousand euro to give away. That is just amazing that the ace would come up on two different days like that, connected, if you like, two different types of stories that are similar. So we'll do it again tomorrow. We'll open the phone lines, callers 10 and 11. I started this morning on a bit of an old rant about the celebration box. And apparently the last suite in the box that's liked or eaten is the bounty couldn't understand it because I love him myself. I think I might have company. Kian, good morning. What are you going on, Neil? Are you the same? I am, I love him. 
I'm the only one in the house that loves them. So you get to eat all of your favourite ones and don't have to scour for them. That's the worst, like, when you're looking for your best one and everybody else likes them. You you say something if it was those awful fudge sweets. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I'm going to say that personally, Neil. I love my fudge as well. Oh, God, I can't stand it. Oh, God. Oh, I love it with a cup of tea. There's nothing like it. It'd be different if the fudge had... Do you get fudge with chocolate on it, can you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. I love it. No, but I'm talking about the fudge that has no chocolate. It's just fudge. Oh, yeah, no. I wouldn't be fired up, but I just love the, the Cadbury's fudge. Could you go through a box of celebration in one sitting? No, no. I, <laughs> I'm not that big of a chocolate fan, but well, it's the bounties and the fudges. So uh, would you like? Uh, would you have a celebration box that only had bounties and fudge in it? Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Well, you certainly you certainly didn't fudge the questions this morning, so appreciate the call. Cheers, my man. Take care. Thank you. Lines yeah. to stay open at 1-850-104-106. You can text 0868-104-106. We'll pick it up in the morning. More opportunities to get on the air. And also, my apologies. I had wanted to do some more of those wonderful emails and calls regarding Cork's best husband, Cork's best partner, and Cork's best dad. But I know I've said it before. I've run out of time. But I swear to God, tomorrow I'm absolutely keyed up now to do lots of them tomorrow and I promise I will. So lines will stay open text 0868104106 Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content